0: Welcome to School of Movies Star Wars Episode 7 The Force Awakens
1: Who are you? I'm no one
2: about what happened.
0: I honestly can't remember a film that I have just smiled so broadly (laughs) the whole way through. It's been a wait of more than 30 years for a truly great Star Wars movie. That day is finally here. Sharon and I love this movie wholeheartedly. We are more than satisfied. It exceeded our expectations and we're tremendously excited for more. With us is the first of two parties geared up to chat about episode 7. We have Jerome McIntosh of Gameburst. Good day sir. And James Carter of and Ritz. Hello. Hello. Let's just go straight into it. JJ Abrams' direction, by comparison to, to George Lucas's. Let's not compare this to the prequels because it's kind of pointless. Uh, let's compare this more to modern day blockbusters because ultimately Abrams is responsible for a couple of them himself. But uh, you know, how does this compare to say Avengers? How does this compare to uh, you know Mad Max? What what else is big? Hunger Games. What what, what else are the kids like? Harry Potter, another huge one. Uh, and and how basically does the Star Wars now fit in? thanks to the way this is put forward purely in terms of direction and in terms of like you know what is presented to us on screen uh, with the modern blockbuster audiences
3: what struck me and this is is slightly a JJ Abrams thing I think but what struck me versus even um, a new hope which this obviously has a lot of comparisons to. It bounces around a lot in the first half, and it doesn't necessarily mm. show how it's all going to come together until you get into the second half, and then it kind of starts tying up all these these characters that haven't been anywhere near one another suddenly start sort of coming together, and mm. you know Han and Leia get get their scenes back together and you start seeing how it's all going to come together in the bigger picture and that then leads you to or led me to ask a lot more questions about where it's going to go from here you know lots of threads left dangling which is just classic J.J. Abrams he just does that <laughs> until he's blue in the face um, whereas obviously a lot of blockbusters tend to go for a much more linear single or, or uh, single group or single character focus mm-hmm. even something like um Avengers Age of Ultron this year you're never really unsure of where the story's going or what's going to happen next in the way that I was with this Which is ironic when you
0: actually look at the the uh, whole uh, film you know just in, in terms of, of what it actually is we'll get to that in just a minute but uh...
2: I think for me what was the most surprising thing about it was the fact that uh, I mean Star Wars although I I love the original trilogy I think they are fantastic I, I love them as films I love them as a story um, they were never a big thing for me um, when I was younger With one exception, which was that when I was about eight years old, I was absolutely besotted with Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Although I was looking forward to this, it wasn't in the sense of um, the way a lot of people were looking forward to it, which was, this is the chance for something I'm incredibly nostalgic with and devoted to, to be good again. I was not expecting to feel that because for me what took me by surprise was watching this getting fully immersed in it really engaging with it as a as a new story and then suddenly feeling like i was eight years old watching return of the jedi again
4: i think jt abrams has this great talent of he's able to adapt the style of old into a more like like give homage to it while bringing it forward like what he did with super eight like it's got a lot of the Classic scene settings, and um, it's still got the classic whites from the old movies. But it, it doesn't. It's aged perfectly from this point of view. Like he's managed to bring a lot of those techniques forward, and it it really leaves a bigger impression on you when you have such unique uh, ways of, ways of um, setting up scenes um, instead of just the classic um, like norm norm. As uh, Jane said, a more linear way of um, showing things like there isn't so much of a time skip nowadays. Whereas this, like you're just supposed to, we're we're jumping over here now, keep up sort of way of thinking.
2: And it's funny that you mentioned Super 8 actually, because yeah, between that and Star Trek and this, Abrams is really showing himself to be a master of being able to replicate other people's. Um, not styles exactly, but the essence of what makes those films in the generation that they're in, and then modernising that for this generation. Yeah. Because in the case of Super 8, that felt so wholly like my experience of Spielberg-type sci-fi in the 80s. Yeah. That
1: if you'd you'd
2: told me it was the same team that made Flight of the Navigator or, you know, any of that type of film around that time, I would believe you.
0: Yeah. The, the crown jewel in his abilities, which is to to, to emulate the uh, specifically the the eighties classics from uh, from Spielberg, and now it would appear from Lucas, and not just now actually, because Star Trek felt like Star Wars, and now it's turned back on itself, and Star Wars now feels like Star Trek, that feels like Star Wars.
2: But then you say <laughs> that. But I know a lot of people said that the, the new Star Trek didn't really feel like Star Trek, but it didn't feel massively unlike it to me. Certainly not unlike the movie. It was unlike the TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, But it didn't feel particularly unlike the movies. You know, they they had that epic scale that the TV shows didn't tend to go for.
0: Yeah. A lot of people have said this, and this is what I was feeling when I, I, I walked out. This stands as a remake of A New Hope. But the question I'd like to ask you guys is
4: why is that a good thing? It's such a hard thing to explain. It helps to emulate the feeling of people who first saw New Hope. A good example is like my sister. Star Wars passed her by, she's three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And this is like hit her in the same way people explain how New Hope hit them. And she's going back to the whole, except oh, we've cool. got this whole thing where now she's going back to the old series cause she's interested in the world. Like it, it's bring the uh, older generation and new generation together. So how old is she? She's, um, crap. She's twenty three. So you're about to fail your test on your sister. Uh, so she's twenty three. So <laughs> I this is how old I was.
0: This, this has made her go, dude. I've got to see Star Wars.
4: Yes. Wow. That
0: I, I. That I think I was just hoping for that. I think I thought I figured hypothetically that would be that. That's one of my major reasons why that uh, a, a positive of this being a remake of a new hope. Your friend came around the other day, Sharon, and uh, she has never liked Star Wars much. We said. In all seriousness, maybe just start with this one.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which yeah. it made sense to be able to say that, because uh, ultimately the to, to go back to the creaky ass originals, especially with the um, CGI added in uh, in nineteen ninety seven, in two thousand and four, and in two thousand and eleven to specifically anchor it to that time and make it feel like a movie, you know, with its feet. Cause, cause there's um, additions from all of those uh, timeframes. It's, it's got multiple feet in multiple different um, ages of, of uh, effects yeah. to, to say, go back and watch star Wars episode for a new hope special edition on Blu-ray. I mean, you're basically asking somebody to assess a very, very, very simple old movie with the, the acting that is in Star Wars.
5: The Rebel Alliance is too well-equipped. They're more dangerous
0: than you realise. Dangerous to your Starfleet, Commander, not to this
1: battle station.
4: When instead, now you can say, this... This is a jumping-up point. Absolutely. Like, you you want to start? You want to get into Star Wars? Here you go. Yeah.
2: So by recapping that earlier story, mm. you're enabling people to come in on the first floor, as it were. Yeah without having to go back down again to, to go through those older versions. And also, I think it, it gives you the opportunity to, as Jerome said, it brings the generations together. Mm. Those people who watched the original trilogy and in their heads, they were Luke, they were Leia, they were Han, mm. now it's kind of like, well, I, I kind of still am, but now I'm I'm seeing it from a different angle. You know, no. you're not necessarily projecting yourself into the the characters who are new to this universe. It's you're the old hands. You're getting to yeah. pass that torture.
3: That, that's very definitely what I think. This approach, the the homage of of the the sort, of, even the main storyline, certainly Rey's storyline, is very much a homage back to a New Hope. And what it does is it it resets everything. So the new fans we've said it gives them an in whether they be kids now or whether they be slightly older um, but the old fans a lot of the people who made the, the, this film are old fans who felt burned by the prequels mm. and what it does is it presses reset and says look being a Jedi that's mythological we've reset and we've put a 30 year gap between the end of Return of the Jedi and this so that people don't believe that stuff happened anymore mm. that's how long it has, has passed and we can push reset, add all that the same atmosphere, the same feeling um, to the world, to the story, to the characters, and to these films. It, it just it gives them a clean slate to say, start this again, work from the basis of where the world was at in New Hope, and try and go on from there. Um, and and the fact that being free from the sort of restrictions that the prequels had having to just end up at the point of now we can start A New Hope it's free from that structure and so that going back and making this homage is a choice it's not a restriction that was placed on anyone it was a choice that J.J. Abrams and the the writers and the whole team took um, which means that they, they found a way or they thought they could find a way to push that reset button and to say, right, let's get new fans in and let's try and right some wrongs for old fans, I think. Mm.
2: there's also, I think there's also a degree of um, setting emotional tone as well. If you want to take a story that's already in people's minds in a new direction, first of all, you have to make sure that you and your audience are running at the same pace. And one of the best ways of doing that is to start with something that matches the the, um, emotional tone that they already have Mm. Um, and I think that's, I know we said we weren't going to compare to the prequels but I think that's one of the massive missteps that the prequels made was coming at it from a completely different tone because it meant that everybody was expecting something moving at an entirely different pace than what they were presented with whereas what this has done um, or at least the way it seems to me is it started off keeping pace with um, New Hope and Empire and Jedi and then it's gone and we're going to go now you've caught up with us, now we're going to go in this direction it's kind of like, you know when you, you, you're feeling a particular emotion and you, you want to change it, you can do that by listening to a piece of music that kind of matches where you are and then gradually changing it so you bring yourself down or bring yourself up to where you actually want to be um, and it's, it's a really skillful way of, of directing your audience and I, I think you pulled it off
0: also, it's not the first movie to basically be uh, the original Star Wars again. Phantom Menace has many, many uh, ties back deliberately to uh, A New Hope and mm. um, you y- did not pull that off. Star Trek 2009 did pull that off and basically is an almost direct analogue uh, across the board to, to the original Star Wars, as we talked about in our original podcast on it. Um, the Avengers is Ghostbusters. The, 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 also... And this is a huge deal because a lot of people have been saying that this is because it's a, just a new hope and because it's uh, taking elements from Empire and Jedi, it's not doing anything new. And what we wanted was something new. This really needs to be looked at with, from, with a long tail from a, a broader perspective. Ultimately, this is simply Disney's first hand in what's going to be a very long card game.
2: It's setting up potential.
0: Yeah. The complexity is is going to come later. The um, That's not to say that it's not complex as it is, but the amount of, you know, fan theories and um, speculation I've been reading and, you know, like 70 different little elements of the film have been picked up on by various fans going, what did this mean? Was this a secret hidden message? Is this going to be followed up on later? And I can guarantee about six of them are actually valid. Uh, But there are so many straws being clutched out, you know, hinting at possible complexity for later.
3: That's exactly what happened with the Harry Potter books when they were coming out. And that's a reference that Mm. I'm going to probably bring up a few times talking about this film. Yeah. And a lot of people are not going to like that. Yeah. And I understand why. But um, with Harry Potter books, when they were coming out, the discussions and podcasts and chat and and just, you know, on forums or wherever else about all the various things that could be threads that were left dangling for this story, et yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Alex. Half of it is just unwarranted speculation. But the the trick is you don't know which ones are right and which ones are wrong until you find out later. So yeah. six of those 70 might be real paths that these films take or real um, Easter eggs, sort of, or trail led for the future. Yeah. But you you can't tell one from the other until we get there. And that's what makes it um, an interesting place to be. Mm. And I, you, you mentioned absolutely correctly there that um, there are aspects of um, Empire and, and Jedi that make their way into this, which actually almost makes it in some ways a condensed version of all three of those films. There are Big definitely up. tonal aspects and story beats from those films, not the whole thing. It doesn't actually condense those three films into one, but it, there's enough of it that you can kind of say, right, we've just got everyone caught up. And the new that people are looking for, that's the twists on it. That's the things that are the same, but but from a different perspective, or the same, but slightly mm-hmm. uh, askew that you didn't see coming. Um, you know, at the end of Empire, Han, Han, obviously is in a desperate situation in this film and not just in a desperate situation you know they take that to fruition yeah. um through throughout any other point we've seen a jedi uh, or a jedi in training the temptation has been the dark side we've just seen a sith where the temptation is the light side
1: yeah
3: and that okay that sounds like oh we've just flipped on it said yeah they have flipped it on its head and it made it interesting that's the new that i found in in this film
0: it's kind of like how uh philosopher's stone uh was always set to be if this is going to be the only harry potter book ever that exactly. it's kind of a potted yeah. version yeah. of of the the whole story as it's played out mm. within yeah. the confines of, of one book and i would i would imagine that uh and this is pure speculation that for all the complexity that people are thinking of and demanding and wanting, when it boils down to it, it's effectively still going to be Star Wars, which always just a, a spacefaring romp rather than the vastly intricate Game of Thrones style um, saga saga despite the fact that the word saga is so intrinsically linked with Star Wars, <laughs> if that makes any sense. You can look to the expanded universe, the comics and the books, to really add extra depth to that stuff. Uh, and I'm not going to say that there are, there's going to be no like, massive amounts of intricacy in later films, but I think we're going to be talking more like the Marvel levels of intricacy, where each film will work on its own, and mm. um, you know there'll be, there'll be things that are brought forwards. But that idea of having everything tied up in one film is ludicrous
3: <laughs> plus there's the side story i think they're calling them films or the i can't remember the word they're using for them yeah uh, but Ro- rogue one, anthology um, anthology that's the one yeah. yeah um you've got all of those where in theory presumably the writers and directors are going to be able to take a few more risks mm. and look at things from slightly different angle or you know wander off into those side thoughts that people have yeah. um those little extra stories um where you can put all of that in, but the main story is going to be what Star Wars always was. I mean, those first three films, actually, watching them back again, it's amazing how, when I got to the end of each of them, I thought, well, actually, if you look at it, there's not that much happened. It was great fun, but if you actually boiled it down to what actually went on, it's, it's a relatively simple story mm. in terms of overall story tropes and, and what actually happened. <laughs>
0: Family um, tiff, granddad gets thrown down a shaft. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk characters shall we hmm. Ray I'll start on Ray if I may let me think yeah like top three Star Wars characters of all time I think um, with uh, I think Han being at the top for me uh, and then uh, Luke Ray is fan bloody tastic played by Daisy Ridley the wonderful newcomer and I got a, a heavy Hermione vibe on her immediately I think about halfway through I, I, it was crystallized and I, I mentioned to Sharon she's actually kind of an amalgam of uh, Harry Ann Hermani and goes on a uh, you know uh, a hero's journey throughout this uh, although it's still an ongoing one mm. I think what I like best about her was that Daisy Ridley seemed to really engage with everything she was doing throw away I'm you know I'm, I'm just here for the paycheck which was meager in comparison to harrison ford's i might add <laughs> sharon one of your bugbears was uh, and it's a small one was the cgi alien guy who gave out the food uh, for the uh, scavengers the point when he offers a big old pile of uh, food for uh, bb8 that look on mm. ray's face when she that that food piles up it becomes immediately apparent that face tells a story of uh, of uh, a gnawing hunger endured throughout her adult life and most likely most of her childhood as well, and that sold the situation. So that it didn't matter about the gleep glop alien; <laughs> it was about hunger and the temptation of being able to feel safe. <laughs> and I mean, she is a very talented young actress, very physically expressive, very. Um, enthusiastic about everything and and really seem to be having a whale of a time as well.
3: Yeah, I agree. The, uh, the alien incidentally, I'm pretty sure, is played by Simon Pegg. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I wasn't sure, but the flashback we see when she uh, touches a lightsaber and mm-hmm. her family are flying away there's a hand on her shoulder that looks like it could be that alien's yeah, hand, I, as if
2: I think it's him. I, yeah. I got the impression that the scavengers that are bringing him bits and pieces in exchange for food are slaves by any essentially
3: other name, owned. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think so as well. Um, which and and the couple of lines they have just before that scene where he puts sixty rations of food out on yeah. in front of her, um, the couple of lines are. Her saying, if I'd brought any of this stuff last week, it was worth double. So Mm -hmm. it kind of gives you the impression that not only is she potentially owned by him, even though he doesn't need to keep her chained up somewhere because she literally can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. He keeps her and all the other scavengers under control by being the person who has food. Yeah. In, in that wasteland there is no food unless you go to him so do not
0: get addicted to food I don't know why I'm <laughs> <buying>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot in that scene uh, and yeah I thought she was fantastic throughout yeah. um, I, I loved the fact that she was put several times in situations where you would think she would need rescuing and never once did she actually need rescuing. Mm. She's incredibly resourceful.
0: Even um, when she gets taken to the, sec- the the villain's secret castle at the end and you know yeah. she gets herself out of her cell.
3: Yeah. That's mm. fantastic.
2: Which makes perfect sense, um, infringing on a conversation that I may potentially have shortly. Um, ultimately, she's survived there since she was a small child. Now, you oh, yeah. don't do that no. by just being lucky. That's something no. that you learn.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the biggest things that endeared Ray to me was um like it's her sense of wonder, like she's kept this um small bit of faith locked up inside the whole time she's been on um Jakku. Yeah. Um little side note. Well done for them to making a desert planet even worse than Katooine. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no reason anyone would actually want to be on Jakku.
3: Kudos to them for not just calling it Tatooine,
4: because yeah.
3: prequels was all about this is the smallest universe in you know in existence. It's a tiny little universe where everyone knows everyone, and guess what? They're all related. And yes, that's the same droid. And this is, despite all the homages, it's not that this is wider. You know, I was just reading through a synopsis. The number of names there that I didn't really even know from the film, mm. but everywhere is just somewhere new, somewhere different, new character. Mm. Yeah. And, and that actually comes back to Ray in the question, one, I've got a list of questions that I had at the end of it. Um, do we need to know her, who her family is? Is it, it may turn out to be that it is, she is connected to someone, but actually, she doesn't have to be. Yeah. Will it necessarily
0: and, add the complexity that is craved by some?
3: I, but, I, I think it, it might satisfying? be more complex if if she wasn't related to someone, because mm. they've established that Luke trained multiple new jedi and that means new jedi are being born without all being interrelated and all being you know uh all knowing one another so i i kind of like the idea that she was potentially traded for something to allow her family to leave and she will just never see them again and it doesn't actually matter yeah. that that would satisfy me as much as mm. finding out that, she, that it did yeah. matter
2: I, i'm the same frankly although it, it occurred to me that she might be connected with the um the skywalkers in some way um about halfway through i suddenly mm. thought you know it it really doesn't matter mm. you know yeah. whether yeah. she ends up being somebody's actual daughter or just somebody's spiritual mm. daughter it's it's not really important
3: True. i think the biggest hint is that the lightsaber calls to her but that she's got throughout the all of this film she's got an awakening of the force hence the mm. title obviously yeah. um going on um uh, but I, I love the fact that, like you were saying, um, you know, were all saying, um, she survived because she learned to survive and she learned quickly, evidently, the age she was when she was left. Um, and all throughout this film, she's learning very, very quickly how to use these powers that most other Jedi's had to have years of training to understand and control. And she's just learning it all organically. And that's really exciting to see that happen. Yeah, that- organically or oh, that that right there like
4: the reason why her escape from the um the main the star killer base mm. like the reason why it's my favorite moment of hers is if you think about it her trying out the force mind trick is like uh, most people wouldn't even try that because if you think about it, Jedi's is supposed to be the thing of legends and mm. like this is probably something she just heard of like a story she said like jedi can use their mind to make people do Mm. what they want and like she goes out on a complete limb and just tries it, and it fails twice but the fact she just hunkers down just sticks to it and that's her her belief in the force and her faith in herself allows her to escape her situation yeah moment of oh oh and drop your gun Do you guys know who that Stormtrooper was, by the way? Yep, Uh Daniel Craig. (laughs)
2: <laughs> although you say most people wouldn't try that speaking as somebody who through their lifetime has repeatedly attempted Vulcan mind melds um, uh, Wingardium leviosa
4: um, okay, <laughs> various I'll, other I'll, things I'll, I'll give her a <laughs> without caveat without much
2: success so far I might add we,
4: we would probably try that
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's a nerd most basically other people. she's a, yeah. a force nerd <laughs>
0: Forgeticus. The, the term Mary Sue has been banded around uh, for her which it doesn't really feel like Mary Sue's have to work as goddamn hard as she does.
4: Things don't go as well for her as most Mary Sue's, I'll
0: say. In the, the lame-ass fiction that Mary Sue's originally applied to, tend to kind of coast through life and, you know, are often kind of self-deprecating about that. You know, And everyone else tells them that they're awesome all the time. Uh, but ultimately, one of the hallmarks of a Mary Sue is that she's boring. And Ray was not boring at least for me, does not qualify in the slightest as a Mary Sue.
2: One thing I found really interesting, actually, because I've been looking at a couple of things about that uh, this evening and um, read a conversation on Twitter that Guillermo del Toro had weighed in on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it kind of made me look at the concept of the Mary Sue in a slightly different way than I have in the past, um, mm-hmm. which is that if you if you look at um, the characters that the term is typically applied to... <laughs> And bearing in mind that it's normally um, an accusation levelled at somebody who creates a character purely to be the embodiment of their own fantasy. It was originally uh, fielded in the sort of fanfic world. Yeah. Um, And the implication is of a, a, a not particularly talented writer who can't write complex characters, who can't write particularly interesting scenarios, and they're literally just pouring out their own... Um, their own imaginings for themselves on the page. But almost universally the first characters that it was leveled out were female, and the writers mm-hmm. that had created them were female. And basically what was kind of pointed out in this conversation was if you're going to start using that term to criticize um, hero characters, who happen to have skills and um, abilities and ways of looking at the world that take them on their hero's journey, which they are supposed to have, Mm. then you can't have Batman anymore. (laughs) You can't have James Bond anymore. All those characters that you've never complained about them having those paths, you can't start picking on one now just because she's female.
0: You can't have Zep Brannigan anymore.
2: Oh, dear God, you can't have Zep Brannigan. But, yeah, I mean, the, I know the, the whole Gary Sue thing came in, but that's usually used when something's a character's been written as a parody anyway. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, it did actually make me realise I have fallen back on accusing characters of being Mary Sues as kind of a lazy way of saying they're not particularly well written, I don't find them particularly interesting, um, so I'm going to do, do. You want to rescind best. a few
0: of those now? Well,
2: not t- <laughs> is, is
0: Bella not a Mary Sue anymore?
2: Um, here's the thing. I don't think Bella is so much because now I've read Anastasia Steele.
0: <laughs> 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 she
2: definitely is. Um, oh jeez, you're um,
0: talking about boring. My in in God. the original
2: context as well, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm I am going to try not to lean on using that phrase. But I I mean, I do get what people are saying about you know she these things come easily to her, but they came easily to Anakin, you know. And and yes, there are things that you could argue are coincidental.
0: That, but- that that's a that's a poor argument if you consider how poorly a character Anakin is written as he's. It, the, well, that, that's well, what I'm, was, yeah, for yeah, Luke. Seen. what I'm in saying
2: is it's not it's there is precedent in this universe yeah. for those skills coming to somebody naturally without them having to have a mentor saying you can do this now go try it
0: there is though that does also feel like two wrongs make a right my contention would be and this could be proven wrong at some point um, if she is from the uh, Jedi temple or um, was taught by Luke uh, from a young age it's very possible that she learned a hell of a lot of that stuff maybe not the mind trick because they wouldn't teach that to little kids but she had an aptitude for it and started off a while back anyway question mark mm. ultimately but here's the thing and this is kind of a, 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 a to my mind the catch-all counterpoint to all of the nitpicks that i've read in the past week it didn't matter to me None none of the well this didn't quite make sense, made it, like any difference to me, because I was totally engaged the whole time. And it's the it's the flip side of you can try to explain away why things within the prequels do actually work if you think about it and retroactively you can write a whole story explaining who Cyphodais really is.
6: Okay, so after the Battle of Naboo in thirty two BBY, Master Cyphhodeus was approached at a formal gathering upon the prelemium orbital facility by Hago Damask, otherwise known as Darth Plagueis. He was the Sith Lord in the legend which was told to Anakin by Darth Sidious during Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. In short, Darth Plagueis was the master of Darth Sidious. So dyas is approached by Plagueis, and Plagueis suggests to seek out the Kaminoans, who were fantastic cloners to create a human army for the Republic. So secretly, Master Sifo-Dyas just does what Plagueis suggests to him and claims to be on the Jedi Council to get the Kaminoans approval. Meanwhile, Count Dooku is erasing all the files on Kamino from the Jedi Archives to prove his loyalty to Darth Sidious and to cover up everything sifo Deus is doing. Then, Count's final trial of S- Sidious is to freaking kill off sifo Deus. So after all of this work f- for the Sith he's doing without knowing, he's just killed off. But the story isn't done there. Count Dooku Keep Cephidias in a cyrogenic hibernation capsule for years, only use f- his fluids to create General Grievous, but that's an entirely different story. My curiosity about Master Cephidias actually brought me to what I think is a pretty cool and important story in the Star Wars saga.
0: In real life, his name was supposed to be Psydodias, it was a typo, he was Sidious, never got followed up, needed to be retroactively fixed outside the movie. But it doesn't matter if you're not engaged. Mm. Turn that around. If you're completely and utterly engaged, it doesn't really matter that, wait a second, where did Maz get that lightsaber from Luke? That doesn't make any sense. I need it explained. And why has Kylo Ren got Darth Vader's helmet when it was last seen on the moon of Endor? And and we need a... Here's the other thing. You explain everything, your movie's 45 minutes longer and bogged down with unnecessary exposition.
3: Yeah, trust, trust trust the viewer to imagine that in thirty years it's possible that Maz did something that allowed her to collect mm. that lightsaber. Anything. Thirty years is a long time. Probably could have happened. You know. Yeah. It really and, isn't that big a deal. And count forwards
0: thirty years from now, when all of these questions have been answered in the uh, the, the, the the grander so, the, the new so, EU, so, yeah, yeah. it really won't matter then. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, this film will change in its perspective depending on what the later ones do. If the later ones really come through, like if the next Star Wars is fantastic, people will go, oh, you know what? The Force Awakens actually was pretty good. And all of <laughs> like these six things, interestingly enough, were followed up on. But or maybe the next one will... Disappoint people like it, it, it's almost got going to be in a Dark Knight Rises situation where, um, so many people uh love this one. It's got, currently sitting at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really good. Uh, which suggests that the vast, vast majority of critics who sat and watched it went, Yes, actually, really
5: engaged with this, really liking it. However, watching Star Wars The Force Awakens, I had that weird experience of being a 12 year old seeing, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and hearing the John Williams fanfare and going, oh, I get it. It's like that. And it was a really strange experience for me because as somebody who doesn't have the emotional baggage invested in the series, I mean, it was interesting what J.J. Abrams was saying there was, you know, obviously it it, 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 it needs to tie in with the with the, the, the Star Wars universe, but he wants it to work for somebody who's new to Well, I have seen all the other films, But i've never felt particularly invested in them and in the case of this i you know i was engaged i thought it was exciting i thought it was funny um i really really enjoyed it and i've now seen it twice any any more on ray because it feels
0: like we've talked about the concept of ray rather than ray herself
2: i thought she was bloody awesome
1: Mm -hmm.
2: she was fantastic i i thought Ridley's performance was brilliant. She was enthusiastic. She was naive enough to be believable in that context, yet at the same time, not so out of step with the rest of the universe that that it was like what on earth has she been sheltered from she basically she didn't have the same upbringing as Luke you know she didn't live on this no. um sort of moisture farm out in the middle of nowhere where he was he was being deliberately shielded from things she's stuck in the middle of it mm. and yet as you say uh, Jerome she maintains that faith she maintains that um sort of the ideas and the myths to cling to a ray of hope, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> to 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 get her through the day, which is actually perfectly in keeping with with how she seems to live. and all those little skills um that that you could argue, you know where would that come from? the the whole why is she so good at mechanics? Well, She's been scavenging her entire life. I'm pretty sure at some point she started taking those bits apart and seeing if she could put them back together again.
3: Well, um, you, you actually see her when she's trying to clean one of the pieces she's found. She looks over at, there's a much older woman sitting opposite her who's doing something clearly different than she's doing. And you mm-hmm. can see her looking at it, watching the woman, kind of figuring out what it is about the way she's doing something. And I was immediately thinking that's, that's someone trying to see if they can improve what, how they're doing something. You know, Absolutely. And when
2: she's, um, when she's sat by the attack, she's got the, um, the pilot's helmet on and looks for all the world, although admittedly she, she may well have put it on just so that the visor could keep the sun out of her eyes, but mm. she looks like a little kid playing dress-up as a pilot. <laughs> mm. yeah. And I, I thought that whole, that feel of her being the focus of this story just felt right. It just felt completely right.
3: I agree. Bo- boring uh, is in the eye of the beholder, of course, but uh, nothing could have been further from from my mind when uh, when thinking about um, Ray as a character. Um, definitely not. I, I I thought the tone of it was right. She she was looking so many ways, but as you've just said, Sharon, there's a lot of differences. And when you think about someone going from age, what five, six, seven, or something when she was left mm. to the age she was when we saw her. That's um, that's your formative time on this planet, and and that time has been very very different from what we've seen for either Anakin or for Luke. Really,
2: yeah. Um, And we both had
3: people to care for them, and she doesn't.
2: Absolutely. And also by not attaching her to anybody specific, they've managed to um, allow her to be nobody's daughter, nobody's girlfriend, nobody's wife. You know, nobody's sister. She's not. Um, she's not dealing with her situation by virtue of her connections, which is extremely common. It's not always a bad thing, but it is extremely common for female central characters. Yeah.
0: Let's do Finn, then. Okay, so what's
3: what was his Stormtrooper name? FN... 2178. 2178. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well FN2178. Um, I'm gonna have to check that while you guys start talking. I can't say that and not be right about it. Another fantastic
0: character. I, I expected him to be like really super intense. Because you know when you, you first see him in the uh, uh, the trailers, he's like, oh, 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 mm. and he's you know freaking out. And uh I, I thought he was going to be traumatized and you don't know what it's like, man, to be a stormtrooper. Uh, a darker character, but uh, but someone who would humanise stormtroopers to that degree, and he did, but in completely the other direction because he was he was practically a child, yeah, he, in the most charming way possible.
4: He's literally the stormtrooper on their first battle goes fuck this shit, <laughs> 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 like what the fuck am I doing here? I need to get out of this Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, fuck this shit, <laughs> like. He, he goes down, he's killing just random... Like, these aren't even... At, he, he knows these aren't just... Uh, these aren't, like, rebel fighters. These are mm-hmm. just civilians. And even then, like, his own... Like, he sees... He has someone die in his arms. Like, and it's like you have the revelation that it takes, like, most soldier. Like, most soldiers in these sort of situations years to have, like, why am I fighting for this?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And he had was- it in the space of a, a first like on the field battle. Yeah.
2: A side note on that um, that scene where his uh, squad mate gets FN2003.
0: Killed. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we never see this on this show, but
2: nerd! It, it, <laughs> it did occur to me at the time that that was a really clever way of identifying him mm. and maintaining yes. that yep. we could pick him out of the lineup Yeah. The rest true. of that scene.
4: Yeah, and you go remember like this is the whole time like he hasn't taken off his helmet yet. Yeah, mm, like exactly. yeah. this is this like this could be something that a lot of, you'll get this. This gets across that loads of different uh, troopers go through this at some yeah. point.
2: The fact that when he goes back into the ship. They they have a process for dealing with things. You, mm. you never get the impression that this is the first time this has ever happened, that a stormtrooper's gone out on their first battle and couldn't handle it. You know, mm. they have a reconditioning process. There is an assessment thing that they go through when this happens. It's just that somehow he manages to sidestep it.
0: But you could actually tell what he was going through before the blood smear is on his helmet. You could tell he's standing in a different way. Both these leads, him and Ridley very physically expressive actors. They must have gone through a, a ringer of like 10,000 different kids all trying to be, uh, you know, the, the new stars of Star Wars, and they picked very well. A, likeable. That's that's almost more important that they're likeable than they're, they're good actors, because ultimately, if you're going to use the prequels as your reverse yardstick, your what not to do thing, likeable is huge. Because no one is likable in those movies.
2: <laughs> I At would all. I would say though, if you're going to get more specific about that, because likable is a, a little bit vague and it's a bit difficult to kind of put your finger on why an actor is likable. True, true. Um I would say in if there... If you're a
0: casting agent you can probably you know, you can you can finger point that a bit more. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But I
2: mean I I would say personally uh, an audience may have
0: more difficulty delineating that. Potentially
2: so so and obviously everybody's category is is going to be different but for me a lot of it comes down to authenticity and one of the things that i would say um that uh, boyega and ridley and um driver as well absolutely had was a sincerity about them yep and that for me was kind of what was missing from the prequels performances
0: what one one of the things
2: one of the many things
1: yes
2: (laughs) but then again none of the backgrounds were authentic either none of the scenery was authentic so there you go it kind of spreads over the whole thing
1: they
0: just about managed to make um uh finn capable enough to to get through but he is he and ray are very much the you know the avatars for the audience sort of like thrown in at the deep end that they're never so awesome that you're like well yeah even Ray with all of her vaunted what well, she loved that a bit easily always seems to be just about hanging on by her fingernails
4: yeah like um, one one false step and like this would all go wrong
0: yeah it's commensurate with the amount of danger she's in ultimately yeah she's, she's pretty good at this but if she hadn't been really really good just that moment she'd be dead now mm. as opposed to she's not in any kind of real danger and wow look she's done a super 3D flip over the uh, thingy there and we yeah. we uh, didn't need to do that at all,
1: actually. Well, it's, a,
2: a lot of it, I think, is self-doubt. And I think that applies to both of them. Yeah. The the, mm. the moments when I loved them the most um, was when they just had a moment of feeling like, oh, my God, why am I here? I can't do this. This is not my place. Yeah. And then something made them go, you know what? Fuck it. And take a step forward anyway.
3: Yeah. Mm. For um For Finn's character, I should point out, I did check... FN two one eight seven,
2: not seven eight. <laughs> Double nerd, <laughs>
3: okay. absolutely. Well this, we don't have anyone, anyone
2: calling us out for <laughs> On The moon nerds are spanked with moon rocks.
4: <laughs> this has I, to be I, a running I, trend. Let's let's just
3: keep chain correcting it throughout the whole episode.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was uh, FN121.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had a moment of disc-alculia and swapped the last two digits, but um yeah. so what what I, I loved about that that character and the way John Boyega played him was, for the the first key moments of seeing that character, you don't see his face, so it has to all be mm-hmm. about the body language, and he does a yeah. great job. From the first moment you see him, you see he's already doubting. He's running over to his friend. That's not how a Stormtrooper behaves. Yeah. Stormtroopers don't have friends. Don't. Uh, someone falls down next to them they don't even notice. You know, that's that's what certainly to me a Stormtrooper is supposed to be. And here you've got this guy. Yes, marked by the the blood across the the mask, but in every way, everything that he's doing, every movement he's making, not a stormtrooper. Um, to the point where I was kind of surprised Kylo Ren marched march straight over to him when he stood there and looked at that guy,
1: yeah, <laughs> and,
3: and he clearly realised something was wrong and he came back to him later. But yeah, um, yeah I mean,
4: it, it became clear that he had been picked out because as soon as he got back, he was sent to. Uh, he was supposed to go for.
3: For um, preconditioning what, what and and, yeah. Yeah. and in addition to what you were saying, Alex, uh, General, I think it's General, Phasma. maybe Captain Phasma. Captain um, Phasma. Yeah. Fa- Phasma spots him with his helmet off. Back How do you know four two one, but you don't know Captain Phasma? No, I knew Phasma, I just didn't know if it was Captain okay. or General. Um,
0: um, sorry, spots him with his helmet off.
3: Um, yeah, and and heads in, and clearly that to sign that A, he's gone back into the ship. B, yeah. his helmet's off. Um, and immediately the next thing she says is, "Submit your gun." It's like yeah. she knows what's happened here. She knows without a doubt what's happened here he got battle fright if you like and yeah. didn't fire his gun. so as you say Alex, there's procedure for that it's happened before because they're not they're not breeding clones anymore they're reconditioning stolen children is, is yeah. what a couple of lines makes clear yeah. and some of these some of these kids because they still are they're, they're not well-rounded people even yeah. though they may be um, adults by the time they actually get out to fire a gun. Um, th- they're still kids and they, they need to watch over these kids and make sure that they're doing as they've been told. Um, and so, yeah, that, that scene and the, the horror on his face when he realise that he's been rumbled and he then needs to come up with a plan that's completely outside of anything that his training will have taught him. He's not trained to be resourceful in that way or to work mm-hmm. outside of the rules that he's been taught his whole life. Um, You're but not he allowed
2: independent to... thought until you get... No,
3: exactly. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the fact that he manages to is just testament to how much he is just winging it that whole time. And sees uh, Paul Dameron there and just takes a shot. And Paul could have not trusted him and, and escaped and killed him or whatever, but he just... He, He's just winging it the whole way from one beat to the next. It's just, I'll try this now because maybe this will work. I'll put a jacket on and I'll say I'm part of the rebels because that might get me through this conversation of life, you know. Um, it literally is. Uh, and and so exactly like uh, Ray in that respect, it's, it's never about suddenly having divine intervention and knowing what to do you see Mm -hmm. it on his face he is afraid the whole way through this film terrified to the point of being unsure of himself and unsure of the people around him and just deciding you know what I'm just going to get to the furthest point of the galaxy and just hope that it's it's um, Rocket and uh, from um, Guardians of the Galaxy I'm just getting out of here and maybe I'll survive till I die naturally (laughs) you know maybe they won't (laughs) get me before then Uh,
4: yeah natural death would be the greatest thing in the world to him yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <How laughs> the hell?
0: i ain't
4: got that long lifespan anyway
2: <laughs> but although you mentioned rocket i i actually um he kind of made me think a little bit of chris Pratt's star lord mm. um maybe not as star lord is as we see him in guardians of the galaxy but maybe when he was a little bit younger when all he had to worry about was himself um that that would be um kind of his way of looking at things that there's I mean, one of the things I loved about Finn is there's a basic honesty about him mm. and about the the way yeah. that he, he handles things. And yes, all right, there's a few times that he tries to get one over on people, but he doesn't try very hard and he doesn't try very long. Mm. Um, and the second it looks like he's rumbled, he's like, you know what? OK, hands up. I'm not <laughs> what I said I was. I do yeah. apologise, but I was really trying to, you know, achieve X, Y, Z. And usually that seems to work for
1: him. <laughs> for, it's like I'm
2: taking the shot in the dark.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, other films as soon as she found out that he was a stormtrooper, that would be the low point, the trigger point. And she was like, Oh, everything about you is a lie. And then she runs away and then she gets captured. Mm-hmm. And that technically is actually what happens but then there's so much more to the film like that's that's not just the bit thing that precipitates the third act yeah the, the third act is, ex, is much longer and more complex than and that and they
3: didn't need to have him standing with a ghetto blaster above mm. his head saying sorry so you yeah. know it, it didn't go in that route either
0: so. also yeah actually he decided to go he you know yeah. she was saying don't go to him as opposed you know she, she basically accepts why he lied and because also we see who he is straight away and we see that he's kind of rubbish at lying that we trust him as a character yeah. if we had not seen him straight away and not seen which parts of him are are alive they'd be like this mysterious finn what are we you know what are we to make of this character like i say he he comes across as a kid Uh, again this is why there didn't need to be little little kids in the original star wars trilogy because luke and to a lesser extent leia are effectively kids in much bigger situations than they are used to Even Leia, who's used to all the diplomacy stuff, isn't used to jumping in and out of trash compactors.
3: And the thing about uh, Finn also is, yes, he tells lies to try and get a situation to work out, but none of the lies he tells, unless I've missed something, are to the detriment of anyone else, really. I mean, Yes, it's a lie, and okay, I'm not suggesting that lying's a good thing, etc., but he lies about who he is. That doesn't hurt anyone else around him it hopefully gets him out of a bad situation and avoids a difficult conversation, etc. But it doesn't actually put anyone else in harm's way or, you know, necessarily.
4: One of the best features of Finn is that in the situation, like in the um, flight, in the f- escape scene with Poe, in the um, TIE fighter, in the uh, the uh, ship chase with um, Rey and him in the Millennium Falcon, like mm. he reacts the exact way you would in that situation. Like... Oh! this this is an amazing pilot oh my god how are you doing this sort of thing like no let's let's not do that that's a stupid idea and just being so
3: overcome with I need to express what's going on right now there's a bit of um, Paul Rudd in Ant-Man when he's talking about the Avengers mm, mm, and it's mm. just like he's like a kid who's watching them in a film you know he literally is there's a bit of that in him when you see him uh, when he sees he doesn't know it's Paul but he sees the pilot you know saving everyone um and, and he's just stood there in awe in the middle of a battlefield. You know, should be dead. And uh, he's just got this big gleeful look on his face. It's great.
2: He's <laughs> we'll a little bit starstruck. Yeah.
4: yeah We'll come back to this, but I'm looking forward to the bromance between him and Poe.
2: <laughs> you it's, and it's quite a lot a... of other people from The look of the
4: <laughs> But I think, like... One of my favourite moments was when he sat down in the turret on the Millennium Falcon he's like, oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> it's like, it. you sit down that thing, you move it slightly to the left and you're just shunted over to the left.
3: They made it look really uncomfortable as well. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: That, that was, I mean, the, the, they
0: they made many, many references throughout it. I think we're probably best off directly labeling the references in some kind of commentary capacity, so we got a visual aid to that one. Mm. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Are people going to be buying this on Blu-ray? Is there yes. a reason? Yeah? Do you think people are going to buy this? I, I, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I think um, I
3: think Neil Taylor pre-ordered it today, having not seen the film. That's. How nice. I think I can answer that question.
0: But the um, yeah, but the, the moment that he actually went and sat directly in the old seat right. and went, well, "I'm going to be where
3: Luke was," and, and, and the heads-up displays—they exactly yeah. the same. Ex- yeah, yeah. It was a little.
4: You're welcome, folks. We just thought you'd like this. But the fact that he's used to far more advanced like technology, like it's it's <laughs> that same thing of like this is old technology, like this is a terrible system. Yeah. But they managed to like that whole chase scene is like one of my favourite like, vehicle sequence, like, ever. Like, it, it really... It gets across, like, how... Even though it's a, pe- it, it's essentially junk nowadays, the Millennium Falcon does what you need it to do when you need it to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, that kind of reminded me of uh, the new Battlestar Galactica as well. You know, how they had to go to the old analogue technology yeah. because their new stuff got completely circumvented by the Cylons.
4: Yeah, because you, you have to get across, like... It might be old, but it's still, like, when you use it right... Mm. it does what it, it's fit it for gets yeah. Jam. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: i've got a feeling that my uh daughter's ipod shuffle may outlast <laughs> me <laughs> it's it is a very basic piece of equipment it does one thing and it does it pretty well mm. so uh it, there's so, so much li- so much less of it to just go wrong and, and get uh, overcome by updates um it's
2: older than her isn't it
0: oh yeah yes yeah, by several years right Okay. Rather than handling a whole bunch of other slightly lesser characters or much lesser characters, I'm going to go for the big kahuna at this point because we're at the one hour mark right now and we need a lot of energy to talk about this guy. BB8. <laughs>
3: totally not what I was expecting. I was
0: going to go for Kylo Ren. Let's do BB8 first because he's fun and I fucking love him. I think when we first saw him in the trailers, it was like, wow, he looks like a really mobile R2. That must be CGI. Uh, Not CGI, it's practical, folks. It's
4: something I must admit. Like, apart from the initial teaser trailer, like back mm-hmm. from like early last year, I haven't seen any trailers, like any footage. So. Really? Yeah. You didn't watch trailers one and two? No. Sorry, two and three? This is how I operate. Like, if I. Have know, you watched just... them since? No. Since you saw the film? I'm, I'm going to. Like, oh, watch them! They're so wonderful. It's, it's one of those are that I do. almost I, as wonderful as the film. I never watch trailers if I'm absolutely going to go see a movie because yeah. I don't like to mess. Like sometimes it will build expectation. Like there are like small little things that are in the trailer but aren't in the movie, isn't it? There's there's one or two lines mm-hmm. that aren't. Yeah. So but, like, um, the introduction of BB-8 to me is like, oh wow! Like they literally just built a droid that did this. Yeah. Like, uh, they're, they're really cementing on the practical effects. Like, that was my introduction to him because, mm. like, and they had the perfect scene for it because when you see that ball rolling on sand, like, there's no, you can't do that in CG. You can really try, but you can't get across, like, a,
3: a sense uh, of motorized weight. ball trying mm. to go through the The way the sand shifts
2: the underneath it.
3: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and even just take a look at any video game where you see a character walking. There's a there's a sliding going on with their feet as well, even though they're yeah, putting their feet yeah. down. And the same thing here: the ball's going to roll, but it's not going to it's not going to move the right distance. If you see what I mean, it's going to look yeah. like it's either slipping or or yeah, rolling too slowly. Right. It's not going. It's going to be very difficult to get right.
0: BB8 actually a fantastic gateway to talk about the the uh, journey back towards practical effects uh, with this. This is what baffled me about people uh, saying, oh, remember the prequels, though? We were excited about them. And mm, it says the name Star Wars on it, so clearly it's going to be the same thing. A completely different production team. And as you said, James, uh, a production team that largely, going to go ahead and guess, hated the prequels themselves, (laughs) were pissed off at them, and wanted to deliver something. um, Not so much something exactly like Star Wars of old, Because ultimately, if they delivered exactly like Star Wars of old, it would have looked creaky as all hell.
1: Because,
0: you know, if you you look at Jabba's Palace, it's it's awful. (laughs) And it's even worse in in the Mos Eisley Cantina. And just the amount of rubbery masks all over the place. It it, it doesn't necessarily mean that practical always equals better. But the amount of time they put and effort they put into delivering as much stuff that was on the screen being there at the time for everybody to react to. And I've said this again and again and again. you got a tennis ball on a stick. Your actor has to work 10 times harder to emote with that thing. You've got Frank Oz with Yoda on his head walking around under the floorboards going, hmm, hmm, that face you make. Look, i so old to your eyes. And you've got suddenly Mark Hamill has something brilliant to react to, and you've got a two-man interaction going on there. The amount of stuff in screen, if you know what I mean, not on screen, not pasted on, not shoved in, not put in in post, not t- touched up, but what seemed genuinely like it was interacting the people with the people that we were watching was the freshest breath of air.
3: <laughs> yeah yeah and you've got a modern production team who as we've said, grew up on Star Wars and films like it so know what was great about those films but have been through the the sort of 2000s the early 2000s where we thought cG was the answer to everything I say millennial we, royal, royal we, yeah exactly um and I've, I've then dialed back a bit to understand that when and where you use CG and when and where you use practical effects is mm. incredibly important. And if you can blend them correctly and make it what seems like to our eyes at the moment, I'm sure in five years we'll see some of the edges and some of the seams, oh, yeah. etc. But for now, it was just really well handled. I thought yeah. incredibly well handled. The odd thing where, yeah, um, Unku Plot or whatever his name was, um, Unka Plot, I think. Um, it wasn't the best. Bless you. <laughs> who was Uncle Blood? The uh, the Simon Pegg's alien who was handing out food. Uh, yeah, lashes. but wasn't wasn't he CG? Uh, no, yeah, his was, uh, name,
4: most of him was ah, a suit, though.
3: Yeah, there was bits pieces of both, but th- that's why I mean that's an aspect that maybe didn't work as well as others. But in many cases, it was just it felt seamless.
0: the the, the little moment, the little touch that. Uh, um, that got to me about BB8 was the when when Finn gave him the thumbs up when they were sort of sharing the, the, the yeah. looking back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth with the, the, when the line was going on. Such <laughs> an expressive little uh, yeah. performance there. Yeah. Followed then by the little blowtorch thumbs up. Yes, I just thought this. this <laughs> is... like everybody laughs at that. Yeah. I just thought this is a person. This is a uh, this is a, a fully formed character that we can uh, relate to, just like R two was originally. And
2: yeah, <laughs> what they managed to capitalise on was um, was hitting the essence of what about R two people love, and it's it's when he's being least droid like
0: mm-hmm. and
2: most lifelike. It's not when he springs all the Swiss Army knife gadgets. Yeah. That he's awesome. It's, or
0: has the jetpack. Yeah,
2: it's when he interacts with somebody in a way that makes him seem um, more human. And when
0: he has an opinion about something.
2: Exactly. And although he's not exactly similar in character. He was, I mean, I said to you when we came out, the thing in the Star Wars universe that this reminded me the most of was Rebels. And although they are different character-wise, it was um, BB-8's bringing-to-mind Chopper from Rebels that kind of really made that connection for me.
0: We have uh, Rebels shows coming up in the next few weeks, folks. Uh, If you have not yet tracked it down, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray, on iTunes and various other downloading services. It is time to watch Rebels you know if if you're an adult who's like I don't watch cartoons you might not get anything out of it if however you want to you know you're hungry for more Star Wars you can do no better right now
4: than that one of the things I do like about BB-8 more than like R2 is the fact that he has no combat capabilities like he has to run if things get bad like he has to get out of there like he has a few utility things but apart from that like he's screwed if someone tries to attack him
0: Kylo Ren, I think maybe my, uh, my second favorite new character, uh, just in terms of how engaged I was with him. And I expected to find him intimidating like Darth Maul, uh, and cool like Darth Maul. I expected to find him a stalking presence like Vader, uh, and, and I was kind of worried that it might feel like Vader Light or one of those nebulous other doths which exist out there in the EU that never quite, they, they never quite live up to that I did not expect to feel sorry for him I did not expect to feel frightened of him, genuinely physically frightened of him and I did not expect to f- for him to end up
4: uh, kind of a, a little bit pathetic but in a way that grows his character yeah. like for me one of the best things that they did it's like they did a whole arc with this character. Like at the start, when he hits mm-hmm. the ground, like he's a completely intimidating presence. And he shows a power that you haven't seen before. He literally stops a blaster shot in midair, has a whole yeah. conversation, has someone surprise him, goes in to talk with him and everything, and only when he leaves away does he stop and let that thing go by. Like you get the idea of like how powerful this um warrior is. Um, yeah, <laughs> he is not a Sith. Yeah, has he's been a knight, not a Sith a or a Jedi. Yeah. Um, but like when you have the interrogation scene, and like he takes off the mask, and you see he's just a child. Like he's just like Ray and Finn. Like yeah. he hasn't been. Finished... <laughs> well, he's thirty-two years old well, uh, Adam Driver. But... Yeah, but he's still got the mentality of like a lost child. Like he's, Bingo. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. One of the pivotal scenes is like, it shows something that you never get to see. The um, Someone, like, whenever you see someone, uh, Sith or someone on the dark side, they're such a reprehensible person. Like, it, it makes, like, they are firmly dark side, but you never see someone who so wants the, the dark, but is being pulled towards the light, and you get to see, like, the conflict of, he wants strength to go further in the dark. It's an extension of everything Vader was going through in Jedi that
0: was the best aspects of Jedi. Or the mirror of what Luke goes through. To a degree, it's revisiting the Anakin character, but uh, changing things around. And
3: doing it right. Yeah, the problem they had with Anakin was, we knew where he was supposed to end up, and it's like the Joker. You don't justify how that guy ends up that guy. You can't justify Mm -hmm. how that guy ends up that guy, because no one buys it, and... You sure as shit can't go from whiny teenager and you to if sadistic
0: yeah. child murder in 10 if minutes. What
3: you're presenting him as is just, yeah, a, a, an angry teenager. That's not justification. And frankly, any of the usual um, reasons people would give for someone being a criminal, essentially, are, are not going to cut it because I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's a very trite way of thinking things. You know, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, you know, dad used to beat him mark. or something. I'm sorry. No, that, that's a complete misrepresentation or a very complex aspect of someone, uh, someone's past mm. to say that, oh, they ended up a bad person because of that. It's not going to cut it. And with this guy, it's never actually really explained what happened. And yeah. That, that's great in some mm. ways. We may get to find that out, and that that's fine. But I felt like I understood him in what was a relatively short amount of screen time in terms of actually ex- seeing who his character was. Way more than I ever understood Anakin through through the prequels, um, in this one film, and he's I mean he's in a reasonable amount, but not not a massive. He, he doesn't feel like he's the central character or anything. Um, they they did something supremely intelligent,
4: like like just like you said, um, uh, Alex. You can't just try and do Vader again because that will just come off as a weak facsimile. So what they did is they created a character who so wants to be Vader, but like. He he just isn't like he's a different type of beast, and they've they they gave him different like moments that cemented it that like he wants to be a teacher like the way he's trying to um, oh what's the word? entice Ray into joining him like he wants mm. to be a mentor type figure like he wants to be the strong individual who's confident in everything he's doing and like people gravitate to him. So he attempts to reach out the olive branch, like, saying, I was once like you sort of thing, where is you're, in a, you're a completely different person. Like, you're not going through the same thing she is, but you think you can empathise.
3: But you and- also get the sorry uh go on go on james i was just gonna say you also get the notion that like when he puts the mask on to try and be something he's not almost you get the notion that he wants to be her teacher to try and be something he's not he wants to put on the shoes and then try to become that person um Mm. and he's not that person but he thinks if he pushes himself hard enough and long enough he will just end up being that way
2: Mm. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that he comes across as very young even though the actor isn't I mean he looks quite fresh faced yeah. anyway yeah. Um, but it's his behavior he's got that's the it. irrational and predictability of a very very angry teenager he's got this desperate seeking for um, his role in the in the universe and his mm-hmm. place in the world and he's uh, he's looking beyond his own parents for who he wants those role models to be but you do very much get the impression that this is kind of his first attempt at that and unfortunately Mm -hmm. he happens to have latched on to possibly the worst role model that that somebody (laughs) in his position could take Um, but I mean I found him completely fascinating Mm -hmm. utterly terrifying he smashes a room up and some of his own men take one look at what he's doing and they go you know what we're going to come back later and that kind of kind of puts across how scary he is because he doesn't have Vader's control. That's the other thing. Yes.
4: Yeah. Like, whereas, like, when when Vader's officers come with him with something they've done wrong, it's more the air of, you've done this, I'm blaming you for this, you're taking responsibility, and he just calmly chokes them. Yeah. Whereas, like, Ren goes into, mm-hmm. like, a... He has a temper tantrum and mm-hmm. just breaks yeah. things around him. And like I like I like to draw um, a comparison with his actual saber. Like it's huge and it's un, it looks unstable. It's constantly yeah, wavering really and it's like a it. it's apparently, like a metaphor for himself.
2: Yeah. Apparently that structure, um, the only way that you can form it is to use a cracked crystal, yes. which is unstable in and of mm-hmm. itself.
3: But you can like, see it all along the beam. It's such a cool effect. You could see rippling yeah. like lightning, desperate to get outside of the of the um, sort of single strand of the, of the blade. Um, it looked amazing. And the heat and, coming off it was way more than anyone else's um, lightsaber we've ever seen. And something just like him, like when you first see it, it's immensely
4: intimidating, like that's coming up to be. But when you like think about what it actually is, like it's a danger to itself and all of everybody around it. Just like him, like he's, re- he's ready to snap. Mm. And I think one of the best moments of his instability is like when he's when he finally confronts uh, Ray and Finn out in the snow. Um, mm-hmm. like he gets hit by him. Um, uh, Chewie shoots him with his bow, crossbow,
3: yeah, yeah, oh,
4: yeah. And what those are uh, are um, they're, they're like bullets coated in plasma instead of just normal plasma. So he's missing like a chunk of his body, and like all throughout the fight, you see him hitting that side of his body, just like forcing, like trying to force more adrenaline to subside the pain. Like he's so obsessed with this one motive that he's willing to bring himself to near death just to
3: get it. And that that's actually scarier, in mm. many ways, than someone with. Vader's intent, because there's a rationality behind Vader that, that he just doesn't have Kylo Ren. There, there's no rationality there, really.
2: But he is drawn by the light side of the Force that she represents as well.
5: Yes.
1: I yeah. mean,
2: there's, there's hints that there may be some other kind of connection that he's looking to pursue, but I think you could see it as basically a case of he is so enamoured of the dark that the light is even brighter to him than it would be to anyone else.
4: Hmm. It's it's like um like Captain Phasma takes on more of the Vader role than um, he does because she's like the one who believes in the cause, like has like commands respect of all the people around her, and like is the veteran. Whereas he's just trying to emulate that sort of he's uh, trying to project that image. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, I, I also got, I, I can't help but mention, a massive Snape vibe from this character. Yes. 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 And You're and gorgeous. I, I apologise because I know there are people who like Star Wars who think Harry Potter is Spawn of the Devil. So... I, I, <laughs> Why? I don't get it myself. You guys probably aren't listening to our
1: show. People, like, I, I, I don't people get it myself.
3: But but for some people Star Wars is what their childhood was and Harry Potter is just an imitation that's for kids now. And I don't get it myself, because yes, Harry Potter borrows from Star Wars and to me what I see of Harry Potter in this is
0: from everything else. Exactly.
3: It. Is is great because this this isn't about oh Star Wars has just gone Harry Potter that's missing the point they all come from the same seed of the hero's journey and the fact that they come to such similar conclusions with some characters is exciting because then the differences stand out more Um, and Star Wars has gone Harry Potter. Again, you say that like it's a yes, bad thing. It's, it's, mad, it's, it's madness like saying, to oh, me. But Star Trek's gone all Star Wars. But I, I know people oh, who, uh, uh, who... Good? <laughs> I know people who account themselves as big Star Wars fans who will not go near anything Harry Potter. It baffles me, but that's the case. Um, and, and They're making life and, less good for and, and to me, some of the things I really liked about this character were how much he seemed like Snape. Snape. But Snape, we don't really see that much in the books or films that unhinged, unsure guy who wants to be Voldemort but also knows that it's not who he is. That's that's exciting to see a character who's, again, another character who's so unsure of themselves and so desperate to be sure of themselves that they'll just force themselves to, to be, in, in, in Kylo Ren's case, Darth Vader, even if it breaks him doing so. Um, I'll, I'll go you one further. Draco
0: Malfoy in Half-Blood yeah. Prince. Yeah. Staring into that mirror, this pale reflection of a boy who is on the verge of doing something terrible and going once he goes starts down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny? Um, um, this, this is basically uh, Draco. Had he gone down that path, if Voldemort had died and he ended up ended up leading the Death Eaters,
4: I, I think now, like when you find out that he is this sort of unstable person, like if you remember the one the first. We'll talk about him late uh, in a bit, but um, Snoke, um, like when you see uh, Carlo Ren and uh, I think it's Hux before yeah, him, off. and like Hux is like badmouthed him, and if in your mind, like at that moment, he does seem like the next Darth Vader, and you can't really imagine, like you can't really imagine these people be on equal footing, like this is the disciple of snoke and you're just like the guy who's handling the troops mm. but when you find out yeah. that they're essentially like in the same sort of position like been handed power but don't yeah. quite know what to they don't quite know how how to wield it properly yeah. like both yeah. him seeing them seeing each other's like equals and trying to outdo each other makes sense in that scene yeah yeah,
0: yeah definitely yeah do you want to discuss Han and how ultimately that that builds up to uh, what happens to Han?
2: Yeah, I would say so because that fits in with um, yeah. with Kylo Ren's yeah. uh, story. We can
0: we can get that all folded into the same thing. Um, okay, right. J.J. J. Abrams accomplished a miracle here. He made it seem like Harrison Ford actually gave a shit. <laughs> I think he did, which is something I haven't seen in decades. I think this is like the first time since Indiana yes. Jones three. I never understood it. Neither did mom. That was
4: the last time I saw Harrison Ford really
0: put something into his his performances. I,
4: I truly feel like it may not be like Star Wars, the lore he believes in, but all of these people getting back together and like, it's like brought out all the feelings Harrison Ford has been holding back. Finally, you get to see him the way you want Han Solo to be in his old age. He has this love of things, but he has regrets about it as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to see that um, he's, hes you think of how much he's been through um, in the past 30 years because you kind of leave at the end of Return of the Jedi and you imagine, or could imagine, that everything just goes swimmingly uh, yeah. for everyone. Um, but actually you see that uh, at the first sign of... of Trouble between him and Leo over their son. He's just gone straight back to to smuggling because it's he's all he knows how to do. It's it exactly it's it's his safety blanket essentially, is being on the run, being in trouble, therefore never having time to stop and think about what he could actually do to solve the problems he's got. Um, and yeah, and don't forget,
4: like the war didn't the war didn't end. Like they dealt a significant blow, but the war <laughs> still went on. And at heart, he's still a smuggler. Like. One of the one of the good uh things they got across is like some people think of him as this huge like war hero general and like he's not that. And I think like having to play that role for so long, like slowly ate at him as well.
1: Well he's like rep- he's got
4: Yeah. He's got that feeling of I gotta get out of here. Like this isn't me sort of feeling.
0: I twigged around about the third uh, trailer, which I'm sure a lot of people, uh, other people, did that he was in the uh, Ben Kenobi, uh, the Obi wan old Ben role, and that it was him who was going to be transporting the uh, the kids off of Tatooine slash Jakku and taking them to uh, the next stage of their journey. To a degree, he he kind of he required mystical help to do this. He had to, uh, you know. Uh, part of him as a character in in that role uh, has to be Maz. He had to take it, you know, he, he can't handle the mystical side of things. But there's a wonderful reversal of his character, a sort of a, a, a turnabout in that when he says it's all true, all of it, the... And this relates to uh, back when I was, uh, you know, way back in 2010, when I was talking about what would have been a good ending for, for Han and Jedi, ultimately about uh, caring about people. He's not necessarily a massively spiritual guy, but he he has stepped back and seen a. Mu- <laughs> he's taken his first steps into a larger world. And it's overwhelmed him to a degree, and it's taken his son away. Yeah, and there is a crumpled defeat about the way he plays Han. He's still kind of, you know, kind of, still got it, but um, there's a sadness to him the whole way through when he sees Leia. There's, this, you know, all of that stuff is rekindled, and you've got this, you know, you're, you're reminded why he was a fantastic actor in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's, it's come. We've come full circle back to the original Han, who's now made those steps forward and kind of stopped. At that stage, he's he's kind of there is a certain acceptance about him as well, which mirrors Ben, old Ben Kenobi, that is, not young Ben. Um, In in terms of that, Ben has come to a final conclusion he's going to meet Vader at some stage and uh, he's not going to win that particular fight. It's not that Han had resigned himself to the idea that Ben was going to kill him, it's that he did effectively what old Kenobi couldn't do with Vader when he puts up his sabre he never indicates to Vader look you know what this is a massive step for me basically rather than attacking you I am surrender. I I am taking no action at this stage I am allowing you to take the action which puts all the power in your hands and what Han does um, by uh, approaching Ben unarmed non-aggressive and reaching out with love, entirely puts all the power in Ben's hands. It's the perfect end for his character. It's the perfect update to that scene. And at the same time, it's the best thing that could have happened to Han Solo. There is no better end. And as I watched it happening and knew what was going to happen, I realized that this was going to be a moment that I would always remember. So uh, the the people going I can't believe they killed Han mm. I hope that in time they realize what actually
4: occurred there yeah um I mean I know it's a cynical way to put it but Han solo had to die um when him and uh I forget her name the uh the large-eyed old woman
1: Miles. Miles. when,
4: when him and Maz are talking like she asked him what's the deal with the girl and it's, it cuts away like it's clear that Han Solo has answers that if you mm. found out if he was still alive like it would negate a large chunk of what the next film would like to do like he it's mm. it's one of the big like one of the biggest things to do is the person who could answer all the questions is not available <laughs> to you so he's the Dumbledore <laughs> yes, essentially case. yes but he goes in knowing full well that ben will like it's more likely than not that ben is going to kill me like but as his father like for him rather than myself at least i have to try like give him the opportunity not just like take it away like he's not a benevolent uh, figure like uh ben kenobi he's mm. he's a father just reaching out to his son like even if you make the wrong decision I'll still love you no matter what and that he that little moment where he caresses his cheek like it's like he forgives him in that moment he's forgiven um, Ben for turning essentially turning his back on everything because it's Ben needs it more than he does it for him to forgive him
0: it's probably the second most important death in the whole series so far hmm I would say after Palpatine but arguably Palpatine would have been killed when the Death Star exploded but the important thing is that Luke got to live on after Palpatine and Vader died trying to save him although Vader didn't necessarily have to die the important thing was that Palpatine died and Luke got away you could argue Shmi Skywalker but I I think Anakin was headed that way anyway so it's Palpatine then Han yeah
6: yeah
3: and and um, actually, I, I like the fact that when he runs back away to smuggling, where we, we meet him in this film, um, there's a sense that he put himself in this position with two yeah. rather crazed gangs coming after him. He borrowed money from them for this running off and hunting these three um, Rathars, I think they're called. Um, Mm. There's a sense that he is being deliberately reckless because it's the only way he feels like he can take control of his life is to put himself in a position where someone else is probably going to kill him. Um, yeah. he's, ju- he's just He wants rid of the responsibility. And then when he steps forward onto that platform, he, albeit giving the power, he is taking the responsibility for his yeah. son and for what his son has become. He's, he's stepping out there and trying to do the right thing for Leia. He's taking that responsibility that she gave to him. He's trying to do the right thing for his son, and he's accepting what happens if that doesn't go right, which is not the way the Han at the beginning of the film would have been. That's not the way. It's, it's a, a similar but different journey to what we see Han take through the original trilogy where... In the first film he finally takes responsibility and comes back to help at the end and through the three he he takes more and more responsibility for everything that's going on around him instead of just shrugging and saying well you know shit happens um and in this film he makes a similar journey but it's so almost so much more personal because of how we know it ends and and who ends it um Mm. yeah incredibly powerful moment um also, the fact that he actually was
0: witness to Ben Kenobi doing exactly the same thing 34 yeah. years beforehand, yeah. it that must have stuck in his mind. That must have been a moment where he, like, he didn't really want to think about it, confront it, look at it directly. It anything, thought, yeah. Why did the old man yeah. let himself die? And just, you know, it wasn't until that moment that he realized that, that there was, you know, a... a a huge connection there that kenobi was trying to because here's the thing the original star wars is a really simple story yeah. it would have been made more complex had george lucas really had a, a handle on what was going to happen in films two and three and he has in retrospect in recent years said oh yeah i knew all along uh, clearly not the case mm-hmm. um but this is that star wars had you known about the whole uh, the whole I am your father thing happening way earlier with, without the big reveal, without the big you know, it, it's just, it's almost thrown away ha- haphazardly in a kind of like the entire audience went, oh <laughs> as opposed to gasping um, but then because it's given away like that you're then able to engage with what Kylo Ren then goes through up to that point on the uh, the bridge, but then the I'm being torn apart moment is everything Vader goes through in Jedi. So it's taken the best of those three films and sort of rolling it into one, as we said, we said earlier. The fact that they focused on not really doing anything massively original gives them a universe to explore now. Yeah,
3: yeah. No. I thought Adam Driver was great. The only thing I've seen him in before is um, with Daniel Radcliffe in, and Zoe Kazan in, in What If... Um, as as Daniel Radcliffe's um, goofy friend, uh, it's oh. it's a romantic comedy film, and he just plays a bit of a prat, but a uh, very well acted and very well played character. But he's he's the comedy sidekick in a in a romantic comedy, and so oh, when okay. that helmet came off in this, I was just like, I, "How am I going to buy this guy?" And the fact that he looks so unsure of what he's saying, you could mistake it for almost bad acting but it really isn't because as you see it happen more and more you realise no, this character and there's two or three of them in this film is just having such a crisis of conscience they just don't yeah. know who they are and they're doing the best they can to try and work it out but um, I just thought Adam Driver did a, a fantastic job
4: the only thing I saw him in was in the TV series Girls and he plays mm-hmm. like he actually plays more of a um like a weirdo who's very comfortable with himself so um it's also like a sort of juxtaposition for me. So I'm used to him playing a character who knows what he wants and he's confident in the things they want. So also for him to, instead of like a comedy juxtaposition, it's like a personality juxtaposition. Mm. Like he doesn't know what he wants and he's yeah. lost. So yeah, he, he has a very good range, it's clear.
0: Mm. Also, uh, just like uh, Daisy Ridley and uh, John Boyega, um, incredibly accomplished physical performance in this. He was a bully and he was um, shoving himself into people's personal space, really intimidating black mask. And throwing the force around and, you know, shoving people back and, and choking them in a way that, like, you know, before, whenever, like, Sith powers got used, or dark side powers, there was always that, Ooh, and people were sort of, oh, oh, this isn't pleasant at all. This one, it was like being slammed each time. Like, it was a real violation which gave his his character it made him very unnerving,
2: I think part of that comes in the fact that even when he's using the force, he still touches people even when he doesn't have to. There's that guy that yeah. he, he reaches out to force choke him and then he pulls him towards him and actually grabs his throat for real um yeah. and I think you're right that's that's a scent that to me speaks of somebody who is very unconfident about who they are, and in order to reinforce that they are real that they are there and that they are strong they have to continually force their physical presence on others Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. it seems like and i could be wrong on this an almost sympathetic commentary on aggressive toxic masculinity
2: i think there is a degree of that in it and i think it's handled very subtly and very well the puzzle is where did it come from yeah yeah. because the the emulation of vader seems to be something that he's seized on himself that's not something that anybody introduced to him not that we've seen so far mm-hmm. um so the question for me would be what's pushed him to that point that in terms of the the narrative in terms of the character where it's come from is almost incidental the important part is how do you bring him back from that um because the the other thing is that 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 stepping over the line and murdering his own father, he is going to have to search within himself to find any um, deserving of redemption. Yeah. To continue what I presume his arc will be.
0: In fact, to continue the whole toxic masculinity thing, uh, it it is telling that a lot of people liked him up to the point when he started to become less obviously intimidating and powerful on screen and actually saw his uh, emerging weaknesses as a weaker character rather than a more
3: fascinating character.
0: the idea of, of empowerment being the, the ultimate end of a uh, a, a strong character. And, and isn't
3: it funny that that's exactly the opposite opinion someone has when they take a character uh, like Ray and suggest that it's bad that she has no weaknesses, which she, she does, but they ignore <laughs> the weaknesses and say that's yeah. a bad thing. And <laughs> then it doesn't with this fit character, the thing, he's Ray. too weak, too she's strong. too strong. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah,
0: it, it, it could be not at all linked mm. but it is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah I, I I thought the um that using him to uh to kind of exemplify that that idea of strength that's being misdirected and I I've got a feeling and this is You know, without wanting to get too much into theorising where these films may go, I suspect that part of his what's turned him is emotion control. Um, because that Mm. seems to be something that he is very, very bad at. And that would tie in perfectly with that idea of masculinity being preached as something which is about control. You don't show your emotions in an ideal situation. You don't actually have any emotions. You just go around imposing your will on everybody around you. And that's the way it should be. You're not afraid of anything. You're not uh, threatened by anything. You are the centre of the universe. Uh,
0: Sharon, you just described the Jedi Code. Yes. And that's, I know. <laughs> that, that's a huge deal because ultimately the Jedi Code and by extension the reverse of it, the Sith Code, the, the Satan worshippers, if you will, they're very geared towards forcing everyone who follows them into one template, one slot, regardless of what kind of person you are. Now, that would be just about manageable if you were only dealing with human beings. But imagine you've got a thousand different alien species and you've got to tell them all to be one kind of person? Mm,
2: indeed. But that That's insanity. That's kind of the point of this whole uh, Sith and Jedi conflict. Because a lot of the time you can't get a credit card card between their ideologies um, and their whole thing about <laughs> From my point of
0: view the jedi the evil side.
2: you're the light side hang on a minute apart from a favoring towards goth clothes we are virtually the same <laughs> ah now you see that was something that <laughs> me. You know when um, hooks when is talking about his um stormtroopers yeah. and he says we we condition them from childhood and they're they're controlled from but and i thought Hmm, I can think of somebody else who does that too. <laughs> and that appears to have a not-
0: Anakin, you murdered younglings. Yeah, well, you started it. You kidnapped them first.
2: <laughs> Indeed. But that's kind of what I mean, is it having this this paragon of Jedi virtue before you in the form of your own uncle, who has almost brought this order back from nothing, and feeling like, how in the name of buggery fuck am I supposed to live up to that when I can't even control the fact that I get pissed off when my helmet slips? Um, you know, it, it's, it's something that deserves exploration, and I think it's, they've got an actor who can carry that off without descending into, right, you have lost my sympathy, you have turned into an annoying, whiny child.
0: It is I, I as soon as he stabbed Han I thought I'm going to hate this character from now on but I felt worse mm. for him. Yeah, I felt like, look, what have you just done for yourself? And uh, the idea that um, uh, he's supposed to, at that point, be clear—he's supposed to have purged himself. And, and it's clear he dead. hasn't. And <laughs> it's clear he hasn't. People, are, well, why did he? Why did um, Ray beat him? Because he was in absolute emotional turmoil and couldn't focus. Yeah, yeah. Like but a
4: rational. It's really straightforward. Part
2: of that sympathy and part of the reason that that remains, um, in my opinion, is how well Harrison. Ford delivers his side of that exchange because he's not mm-hmm. just forgiving ben for everything he's done he is also forgiving him for what he is about to do yeah
4: god yeah so yeah pretty yeah, good character eh? Hey? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they've already equaled and uh, exceeded darth vader who was one of the greatest villains of all time is one of the greatest villains of all time. Possibly um, it would be... They're helped along by the fact that the the, the prequels took as much as they possibly could away from Darth Vader. that's the
3: the crime of of those films for me. The whole point of them was to add to that character, and they just did the opposite.
4: I I will say the animated series does help pull it back a bit. Like, because... Rebels. Yeah, Clone Wars. Like you get a longer time, you get to see actual transition instead of like a snap change.
0: Yeah, I've I've, I've watched uh, many episodes of Clone Wars, and they're, all of them, all of them are better than any one, <laughs> any one of the episodes one through three for me. Mm um uh no apologies to folks who are sick to death of hearing me bad mouth the prequels it's going to go on for the rest of my life i th- i thought i thought i would be no longer in turmoil about them after i'd seen episode 7 but i still want to kill them <laughs> because that 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 um episode 3 will never go away episode 3 is now my most hated uh, and uh, we watched um two whilst listening to we hate movies do their brilliant ripping it to shreds um on uh, uh last week and then we watched the Sith Mentary yeah. and I thought Episode 2 is rubbish and it makes me tired. Same as uh, Phantom Menace. It's rubbish and stupid and it makes me tired. Slightly less rubbish and stupid than um, uh, Attack of the Clones. And it has that awesome lightsaber fight. Which may be just a highly coordinated dance, but it's uh, an athlete at the top of his game and two actors trying their best to absolutely keep up. And it's dazzling to watch still to this day. Even and especially Obi-Wan vs. Anakin because that's where it's supposed to get really physical and personal and doesn't. And all the other lightsaber fights have some repugnant CGI element to them which is impossible to ignore. Be it a CGI stuntman with Christopher Lee's face, or Yoda jumping all over the place, or a horrible gurning monstar. Ultimately though, CG, even bad CG, would be absolutely forgivable if you felt that these things were personal but they never feel that way, ever. Revenge of the Sith makes me (laughs) furious. It makes me angry because of the procession of stupidity that is required to make everything happen in it. How all the events are condensed into about a day. So, you know, Amidala goes from being, I just, I need to tell you, I'm pregnant, to in two (laughs) hours, (laughs) seemingly taking in real time. Everything that happens in that movie shouldn't have happened or shouldn't have happened in that way. And everybody behaves appallingly. The, the first two, basically the first two are rubbish, but nothing happens that's so bad it changes galactic history. <laughs> uh, it's all just sort of like the baby steps towards like that. You know, obviously at the, at the end that they've got their clone army and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. But um, at the end of, of Sith, all the Jedi have been slaughtered, shot in the back despite all of this vaunted ability and despite the fact that they all fight like dancers or not like not even dancers, not even with that level of physical choreography on the other hand and switching it back around, pretty much everyone in this movie acts like a human being. And you know, there are are some dumb things done, but those are usually done by people making dumb mistakes that they then immediately regret. And another thing that people have pointed out, it's really funny. Yes.
3: Yep. And that's a huge and not, deal, not always cause... from the obvious places either. There are characters who are supposed yeah. to be more funny, but often the jokes just came completely out of the blue almost and mm. and yeah, just really good.
4: Best example when Callan's having his temper tantrum and you have those stormtroopers yeah, like they just turn just around back and walk away, away. <laughs> like <laughs> that yeah, that yeah. that's the Great. right choice. <laughs>
0: That might be why you think feel it uh, being like well I completely t- do as well, feel it like uh, rebels um Sharon, because in the original Star Wars, all the humor came from mm. heart pretty much yeah. all of the the, the occasionally there 'd be some kind of dry star r two was mm. funny. Um, and, and some of the, the interplay between him and 3PO. But um, it was mostly, you know, we're, I'm fine now. We're, but now all the characters, to a degree, are funny in some capacity. Yeah, and, and, and just like in Rebels, where, where pretty much everyone gets some time exactly, to be funny. Exactly,
2: and that, for me, is is how it should be. Everybody has an opportunity to be funny. Everybody has an opportunity to be dramatic. Everybody has an opportunity to be tragic. People are not one thing. And it feels more like a setup. If you have your comic relief characters and your tragic doom characters, yeah, indeed, and particularly when you know that when those characters appear on screen, that means they're about to throw in some humour so that the kids don't get too traumatised. You can start to predict the beats of the story based on who's on screen, and that gets boring a little bit.
4: Mm -hmm. It's better when it comes like more natural. Like most things, most comedy, it feels more natural. Like the line of I know, we'll use the Force. That's not how it works. Oh. <laughs> or, like, hands like, flicking his head up and saying, what's this? What's this? Why are you doing this? What does that mean? I'm trying to come up with a plan here. Like, you're not taking me serious right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think that gives you more of a sense of, of these characters being real people that you can interact with. Because yes, I know there are some people who kind of have in their heads that, you know, this is my funny friend, this is who I'll go and talk to when I'm feeling miserable and I want someone to cheer me up. And that actually does harm to that funny friend when they have mm-hmm. something bad happening that they need your help with and you're expecting them to make you laugh. Um, you know, the 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 tragic friend who's <laughs> always got depressing things going on and you're always trying to help them. Well how does that leave them when they actually want to have a day of, of fun? And
0: you're describing the TV show Friends. Am I? Chandler is the funny friend. Ross is, hi. <laughs> I'm the tragic right, friend.
2: Okay. Well, okay. Anything <laughs> that breaks away from that then is a good thing.
0: Okay, so hang on. Tragic is uh, level 10. Sad Sack is level 2.
2: <laughs> oh, you and
7: Cloudy. Hey, how's Cloudy doing? Cloudy took me to prom. <laughs> oh, hey, Julie. <laughs> i'm fine how are you still stuck hanging around this david schwimmer I'm
3: really overworked <laughs>
7: <laughs>
6: it's been crazy around here
3: to go on to one of the other characters that jerome you've already mentioned is is similar to kylo ren uh is general hux um yes. when i saw i, I knew donald donald Gleason was in this and I've not seen him play a role like this or anywhere close to this before. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of him as playing "quote unquote" a bad guy. Um, and when I saw him and I saw how he was acting, I was like, "Oh, he doesn't seem like he's into this role." And you realise, like you do with Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, no, that's exactly who he is. He is a guy who yeah. is head of this army who is screaming in front of uh, thousands of troops out in front of him as though he's you know leader of this. Uh, First order, and he is an insecure child in that role. He does not know what yeah. he's doing. He's trying his best to not get caught with his pants down by um, Snoke, who surely knows that he doesn't really know what he's doing. But he's got Snoke's got these two impressionable kids who he knows he can manipulate and control, doing these jobs mm-hmm. and playing at talking, playing yeah, at Vader. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You want to wear the daddy pants?
4: Yeah. That that speech is like an excellent moment to me because. If you looked at it like he's not projecting, he's not just like speaking with authority and like trying to get it clear. He's shouting and screaming. like he's, yeah, he's losing screaming it. At,
3: yeah,
0: kind of like Vader in uh, A New Hope. This clearly wasn't intentional, but you are part of the Rebel Alliance or
3: the traitor. Take him away. <laughs> he's showing his weakness yes. by raising. And his you pulse. can almost hear Hux's voice break when he does when he screams yeah. like that, or when mm. he's tra- talking to someone, or he's trying to. um assert dominance over Kylo Ren you can almost feel the wavering in his voice because he just he's he's not but he's trying to be it's uh it's interesting those two characters like you say they're they're jockeying for position as as the favorite and um you see them try to get one over on one another trying to intimidate one another trying to kind of backstab and needle one another and um with both of them, that seems like a very dangerous thing to be doing you brought up a
4: great point there and um, uh, james uh, about snoke like he essentially the whole first order seems to be about taking like young individuals and manipulating them purely mm-hmm. for your own one game. may like, say that...
3: radicalizing them almost yeah
4: yeah like that seems to be his whole philosophy because it seems like it's as if he he's put these um inexperienced people in To power because they'll want to please him and like put a sort of a watch, a watch, a watchdog over them with a phasma, phasma, like phasma, Phasma, it seems essentially to be like the watchdog for um Hux, whereas duty mm, adult, whereas with (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 definitely, whereas with Ren, because he's so. Enamored with Snoke, just essentially, he constantly goes back to him.
0: Uh, I don't really want to speculate on, you know, who is Snoke, how, you know, uh, the, the the secrets behind him. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna find out more about him later, and whatever we speculate on is probably gonna end up. Well, six six of our speculative points are going to be right out of 70. What was presented to us was so black, so straightforward, uh, like, you know, just a, an evil Palpatine space Hitler, that it left me feeling there's got to be more than this. Well,
4: I, the first initial introduction, like, when you see this massive being, like, just, like he holograms have gone to the point in this world obviously that you just look like you're part of the scene and he looks like this giant like being like you can understand like how the hell do you fight this is a Sith Lord that you're dealing with (laughs) like you have that initial thought because you don't know like how the fuck are you going to deal with him you have to ride in on an army of rankles like, I can see why he idol- why Ren idolises this dude <laughs> but then um, yeah. you actually see it's a hologram like it's clear that he he unlike the emperor like no matter what he was still like this withered form like he never changed that image of himself um Snoke like projects himself as this massive colossus yeah. being like like someone ab- above it all sort of thing and like I don't know what that's about, but um, it shows like the fact that he has those like with those scars in his face, like he's quite deformed. Like he's there's clearly something that he's trying to hide behind this uh, facsimile. Facsimile. Pay no
3: attention to the man behind the curtain.
4: There's that feeling.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and I think the projection of him that size, I would be very surprised if he's actually that size. I think that's all for sure. Um, I mean, but more specifically, his ultimate end,
0: it, it, if it is simply galactic domination bringing back what the empire had, I mean that's ultimately fine it's a, it's it's a fairly black and white um movie series, and it always really has been to be able to inject some uh, more shades of gray. it kind of comes down to the uh, the characters caught up in the middle of it because ultimately the um the rebels or in this case, what are they the resistance yeah. now. Are presented as being kind of the best of humanity. They'll they'll, uh, they'll they'll fight even when there's you know the odds are ridiculously against them. They will die to save other people. So you know to that end, it's actually acceptable for them to be fighting just evil giant space racists. And I, I you know I, I wish that the world was an outwardly as outwardly complex. Uh, that I could say, oh, you know, we we really need to update and move forward now. But there are people out there in ridiculous levels of power who are just hate-filled racists and and don't seem to have much grander goals than serving their own aims and dominating. Uh, To to that end, Star Wars has never felt to me like it really needs... What's an example of a... a, uh, Well, sorry, a domineering, aggressive power that is actually extremely complex... The Cylons in uh, the new BSG. How about the that? Fire Nation. They, they are complex. Yeah, yeah, the Fire Nation. And actually, uh, you, you know, now that you mentioned the Fire Nation, a lot of Zuko going yep. on with Kylo
2: of I, I, was, I was
4: yeah. really tried to hold my back from just that, right? So, <laughs> yeah. And
2: now he's got the scar.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shall well, we just not really spoil the last
0: airbender for folks who, like, just if, if you know, liked, you know. If you know, you know. If you don't know and haven't yet watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, that's what to watch immediately after Rebels because it's, cause it's the fantastic. A series, I think not I've the mentioned film. It once or twice before.
3: Oh, yeah, <laughs> Just go, to no, be clear, of...
4: <laughs> it's sad we have to make. That it
3: shouldn't need
0: say Anyone but... <laughs> recommended you watch the film? <laughs> Avatar is actually a really. Uh, ex- whenever I say Avatar, I don't mean James yeah. Cameron's Avatar. Unless I say James Cameron's Avatar is a really good, a good example of um, updating the Star Wars mythos. To something more shades of grey. But ultimately the Fire Nation The Fire Lord himself was still basically just a crazy Hitler type guy. Uh, but it fell to Zuko and Iroh and and uh, everyone else involved in the Fire Nation, yeah, and then going go beyond place. that into the Legend of Korra so, to add to so, so the complexity. So, the quest, yeah, so the the question they could is, definitely is, do is
3: that. Snoke just a single point of evil, and the people around him are going to make it interesting. Or is there mm. more to Snoke? I'd be surprised if there wasn't more to Snoke mm. than that. But yeah. even the Fire Nation, before you saw that complexity, initially just looked like yeah,
4: that's a, that's a domineering I mean.
3: force. It looked like a single uniform presence, and then you see the yeah. complexity to it. So we've already started to see some of that, and I think there's more to come. I hope there's yeah. more to come.
0: Welcome back to the continuing Force Awakens chat this time around we have as our guests from Uncle Gamer and Remember When Paris Lily hey thank you for having me from the Bond and Beyond and Rare Replay podcast James Batchelor hello and from the Plaid Hat Games podcast it's Alex Eading
7: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Paris was on the Revenge of the Sith show, as well as the one we recorded just after Disney bought Star Wars, the best predictions of which you'll have heard earlier. James was on our New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Was that, Is that right? You were on the New Hope? I was on the whole trilogy. Oh, right. Cool. Cool. Review shows back in 2010 when you first said of George... Fit him with a restraining bolt. That's the one. James... <laughs> was also on the Sound of Gonzo Star Wars special show, and I'll be asking him tonight about what he thinks of the new school by John Williams. And Alex was on our original trilogy commentaries, and I think we'll be recording a Force Awakens one when it comes out on Blu-ray.
7: Looking forward to it.
0: So, gentlemen, you've heard our first episode. Uh, What can we add to that? What can we talk about? The remaining characters? We can go into more detail on the leads. We We can talk about issues that you had. On that note, though, before we start... One particular tweet that I got last night really baffled me. It was in response to the notes on the first show, and it said the following, and I'll I'll keep the name redacted for the time being. Uh, It exceeded your expectations? Oh dear, you seem like a nice guy, but you are so wrong. Vapid checkbox remake of A New Hope. And I replied somewhat sarcastically You're right, redacted I see the error of my ways and now abandon my joy and excitement For misery and anger Well done (laughs) And then he came back with It's good that you enjoyed it, I'm just surprised that you did I'm sure you'll appreciate Not everyone enjoyed it too Appreciate? I've barely been able to move for the derision But I don't directly tell people they're wrong for not liking it Redacted I followed that up with, so now you have to decide, am I wrong to have my expectations exceeded or is it good that I appreciate it because it can't be both? And his reply was, I think it's a shame that you didn't have higher expectations. They could have done something totally new with the film. Now his response was a knee-jerk reaction based purely on a few lines of blurb in my episode notes for show one because he didn't listen to it yet and even if he had, I haven't even recorded show two yet so he didn't get the whole... No, how I feel about the film. So from his point of view, I needed to have higher expectations and then they needed to not be met by this movie. And it's a shame that I don't have higher expectations and that is why my loving The Force Awakens is wrong. Now, I've been drawing up a list of how this could have been the perfect Star Wars movie based on what I've been reading and hearing in the past week from the internet. So here's how it could have been made to make absolutely everybody happy. It needed to be classic Star Wars, like the kind we remember, but not at all like the prequels. And in no way, a remake of A New Hope. It needs to be complex and entirely original, but also a crowd-pleaser that will rake in the bucks for Disney. It needs to please children, and teenagers, and adults, and critics. But 95% positive professional critical response means that it's overrated. The hero can be a Force-sensitive girl, but she can't learn to use the Force too conveniently quickly, or be better than the guys around her. The villain has to be a memorable threat and clearly a Star Wars villain, but not a Vader knockoff, and he has to remain exactly as all-powerful and effective the whole way through, and it better not get emotional. Evil must be clearly evil. That's what the Vatican said in their, uh, their newspaper. Uh, we want Han Solo, but you killed Han Solo. And we want Princess Leia, but she's all old. And we want Luke... But he wasn't even in it. So basically all of those things needed to be corrected. You know to not kill Han. Princess Leia needs to be beautiful. And Luke needs to be in it pretty much the whole way through. We want mystery. But we don't want to be told things too quickly. We just want to be given a lot of questions. But we want every question answered within this first movie. And everything should mean something and be deliberate. And everything should be explained. But it also can't get bogged down in exposition. This movie must not play it safe, but it also shouldn't kill a pop culture icon and our favorite character. And it also must not hide the hero of the other movies away, courting all sorts of backlash, because that's playing it safe. We should understand what everyone is feeling at all times, one emotion at a time please and clearly explained. And they should be the same emotions that we would feel. This is about me being on screen and making these decisions. These people are avatars for me. Any deviation from this will frighten and enrage me. I feel like I'm being manipulated under these circumstances or lied to, both of which are a capital crime. This is not my Star Wars. I know what Star Wars is. It is whatever I say it is. This is for me. Who cares about everybody else, especially anybody who loved it? That is what we deserve. That is what we are entitled to. That is our birthright promised to us by the one true God who is ours as a paying cinema audience. Now, all of that above doesn't apply to everybody who has ever posted, said, or thought a negative thing about The Force Awakens. It, it, it would be a ridiculous person to think all of that, but basically that's every, every complaint lumped together in one go. For example, some people I know, to be level-headed and not petulant, demanding baby men, have some issues with the movie, and those are probably variations on the popular ones voiced all over social media in these past few days. None of them matter to me personally, although I hope that the movie wasn't too ruined for them as a result. It is very important to remember that The Force Awakens gave us the following. Seeing the world from the point of view of a disaffected stormtrooper for the first time, engaged in literal bloody conflict for the first time with consequences and played by a black central hero for the first time, following the journey of a female hero for the first time in a galaxy now far more noticeably populated by women and people of colour, following a young man trying to emulate a powerful hero of his that we already know to be a monster, but having his own terrible sacrifices to make, thus complicating and deepening what we understand about following the dark side of the Force. In fact, seeing the Force taken out from under the jealous guard of the overly simplified Jedi and Sith factions and put in the hands of more emotionally complex individuals less inclined to aim for full Paragon or full Renegade. Female Stormtrooper Captain female droid lead oh you didn't know BB-8 was a girl she is seeing Oscar Isaac transform himself from a persona we've almost always seen playing seedy pimps and deeply unpleasant misogynists and into a cool Latino heartthrob pilot and also at the same time somehow a gay icon a script that was genuinely funny throughout given many characters a chance to shine in the humour stakes and not just Harrison Ford going off the map because he refused to stick only to the dry dialogue given to him by Lucas And the resuming of a character arc started with Han Solo 38 years ago and left in a kind of halfway house hiatus in 1983, apparently forever, seeing that arc completed with tragic heart-wrenching and personal poignancy that we never expected from a character so initially selfish. But none of that really matters, of course, because this movie is just Star Wars and failed to do anything new. Michael, that's the chap who tweeted at me yesterday, if you're listening, this and several dozen other things is the reason why my expectations were exceeded. I hope that your expectations of episode 8 are different going forwards. If I can help clarify and even refocus yours and everyone else's who's horribly disappointed by this movie but somehow is still listening to this riotously enthusiastic podcast, then I've done my job. Sunday, December 30th, 1984, at 2.45pm on ITV. I was four years old and four months. That was when I first saw Star Wars. Empire was aired on British TV Christmas Day 1988, and Jedi the same day in '89. So no wonder I was late to the party. This was years after A the Jedi came out, like... 89 so six years I cared about Star Wars the most when it was at its most desperately uncool I wanted and needed people like you guys on this podcast like you guys listening to talk to about it way back then and now decades later after three awful movies that we all hoped would be better I'm finally able to say may the forest be with you with pride and excitement for the future
8: So, guys. Well, I I mean, in the the rebuttal, you kind of summed it up. What were you expecting is is what I'm guessing. Because, like, you, you mentioned in part one, they had to make a movie that appealed to the hardcore Star Wars fans and also brought in the next generation of fans. And I think by, quote, unquote, playing it safe and doing basically an homage to the original trilogy was the right strategy to reintroduce this franchise so that when we do get to episode eight they can do whatever they want Mm. because they've done all the the you know the the call signs back to the things that we wanted to see from the original cast and and all that they all got their their mentions we all got to see him on screen even if luke was very brief and never said anything if anything when i first saw luke And he didn't say anything. I was disappointed the first time I saw it. I was like, wow, I really want to see Luke say something. But then after the second time, I was like, holy bleep. Luke Skywalker still hasn't said anything in over 30 years. I'm still anticipating what is Luke Skywalker going to do next? I think that is a great thing that they did because back to what I'm saying. They gave us the fan service of, yes, we got to see Luke Skywalker, but at the same time, we have no idea what Luke Skywalker is going to do going into episode eight, you know? And they sent off Han Solo in what I feel was probably the best way possible, in that his character, he he actually got to go back to being the scoundrel and the smuggler that we all knew. It made perfect sense in, the, in this situation that he would do the things that he did, but then we got that powerful scene with him and Kylo, so... Is the movie perfect? Absolutely not. No no movie's gonna be perfect. But if you're a fan of Star Wars, I don't see how you didn't get excited for this. You know, like I, I matter of fact, I was gonna go see it a third time yesterday and it was sold out a week later. Yeah. It's still sold out. I couldn't go see it, you know? So it's I, I don't know what people were expecting, I guess, because if you went too radically different, people would complain. You play too close to the vest, people are going to complain. So they're, you, they're, they're in, impossible to win in that scenario. Mm. So It's not just, um, you know, not excited. I've,
7: I've seen reviews on YouTube
0: of people furious with this movie. Furious.
1: I
7: I don't understand how you can be furious with, with a movie like this. So I, it might just come from some naivety on my part. I'm the type of... Of movie viewer, of 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 geek culture fan person, that um, the producing bodies, whatever whatever universe this is going to be, the DC Comics, the Marvel Comics, the the sci-fi franchises, the Lord of the Rings, whatever it's going to be, uh, I am the type of fan that tends to get very excited and and really enjoy. All Of the content, and I'll fully admit that when I was younger and I saw the prequels in theaters, I thought they were pretty awesome at the time. Um, granted, uh, I am let's see, when did episode one come out? 99, yeah. so I was like 14 at the time, and I was, you know, right at that, right at the top edge of that age group that, that was being. You know, projected at. Sadly, I do not remember my first encounter with with Star Wars. Uh, it's always been obviously I was born in 1985, um, because, so they've all the original trilogy had been out for a very long time by the time I was able to watch movies. So I've kind of grown up knowing all the Star Wars content, knowing all about the Star Wars saga and things like that. So I don't have a defining memory moment in my lifetime that was like, oh, the first time I saw Star Wars. And my best friend just recently told me his. Uh, which was a beautiful story when he was like four and he watched, you know, A New Hope with his dad and it was this memory that he retained and they've got this great mom. I don't remember that. I just knew about it all the time. Um, but I am one of those fans that tends to just appreciate and like and, and get excited about the things that these companies produce. And I don't see the cracks for a while. And usually those cracks are influenced like my noticing them are influenced by what's going on with other fans or other internet culture, things like that. So the, you know, there are some, there are some cracks that we see with force awakens that I, you know, I didn't really give a lot of gravity to in my own understanding of it until speaking about it with other people, you know, cause I walked out of the theater being very excited the first mm-hmm. time. I remember the moment that Han was killed by his own son was this I actually I saw it as a really cool moment I thought what a great thing to do with this character one of my other best friends at the time was violently angry sitting next to me about that situation because Han is his favorite character in the Star Wars genre and I love Han Solo as well but I thought how great is this for Han's story in that moment of this emotion is fantastic. Oh, and he touched his face. Oh, and this is God. You know, and, and then only later did I start to see, you know, why people would react so poorly and, and badly against that because I saw that for the storytelling and I really liked that about it. Mm. You know, and, and these other cracks and we'll get into things like that, like why was there another super weapon stuff like that. Uh, I would very much like to talk about that later on the. Paris. Oh yeah, I, I,
0: I, I think oh, that that was one of the things that Paris said. If I see another Death Star, I walk out of the theater. <laughs> did you? <laughs>
8: Obviously not, <laughs> but but <laughs> no. the point does stand.
5: Stuck in- but I think at least you were warned because there was a death, st- like the, you know, the Star Killer Project's on the poster. Yeah, so at I least like you go was- in knowing, oh, great, it's another one of those things.
0: Didn't even hide it. Like they could have made that thing, like they could have actually put like a small Death Star, like hovering, looking like Dr. Ball. And it's like, oh, no, it's just very, very far away when you finally get to it. <laughs>
7: <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I like this movie very much. And I, and I, I'm learning more things that are surprising me about it that people, disliked or had problems with and and they they're all surprising me every time going really you had an issue with that so i'm i'm not much of a critic i tend to like a lot of things a question
0: for all of you guys. When you came out of the cinema, were there people waiting to um, to go into the next showing that you just had to sort of like go, mm, 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 mustn't talk yes. about what
5: we've just yeah. seen? Yes, in, in fact, yeah. I, so the first time I went to see it, I went to see it with, them, with my wife and the in-laws and they were coming out and they were quite excited and going, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. And we we're like, we're they walking across. us. Yeah, yeah, please, please, let's get to the car in one piece and then you can talk. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, it's such a strange one. Like this, this more than any of the other Star Wars films that come out, as as um, it's been released in a completely different age of such internet you know, internet driven transparency in terms of spoilers, and there's just no escaping them at all. And I don't remember any or many films that people have been so conscious. Of avoiding pre information or even expectations, yeah. and wanting to go in completely blind because it's impossible to do. That. It's nearly impossible to do that now. I tried you, my damnedest yes. to work online. It. Yeah you
0: yeah. you better to like, use social media I'm like what well, I'm going to check Twitter for messages but like keep my eyes squinting just in case someone oh, exactly. has blurted I mean, something at me i was i went to media blackout for the last week
5: i'm, I'm a journalist I, I yeah i work on on twitter and facebook to obviously spread um you know news about the articles that i've written but also you know source news and so forth and there is just absolutely no way of avoiding potential spoilers um i made sure i only ever watched the three theatrical trailers mm. on youtube i didn't bother with any of the little tv spots Same. because in the last in the two or three weeks in the run up to its release, all it was is all oh, such and such revealed by new TV spot, rumors confirmed yeah. by new TV spot. I went in. Trying my damnedest to avoid the the risk of going onto a tangent, avoid the this, this, the phenomenon I had with them. Um, Spectre, Spectre, I went in knowing everything that would happen, oh. knowing who the who the bad guy would be, knowing what order the sequence of events would happen in, purely because I'd I'd looked into so much about you know about what the film was going to be about because I was so excited. This one I tried to go in as blind as possible, yeah. but even then, even when you're actively trying to avoid new information, it's sitting there in your Facebook is kylo ren luke skywalker
1: mm. and,
5: and, you, and yep. you can't you can't not unsee the headline yeah and you i've not read the article it's just it's just a, a headline in my facebook feed or my twitter feed and you go in with, and then you like i say you've got these headlines rumors confirmed by new t- star wars tv spot i was like brilliant you've now ruined potentially one of the biggest moments of the film i was so glad to go in and know absolutely nothing yeah and they surprise the, the best thing for me about Force Awakens was it surprised me with Han's fate, with the revelation of, of the connection between Han and Kylo, and even even now I've kind of trained myself to try and not talk in full spoilers, which is daft because we've <laughs> yeah have to on this unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fact you know the fact that Kylo is Han's son, the fact that Han dies, the revelation that Ray is the Jedi, not Finn. Mm. All of that didn't have a clue because I, I kind of bought into the marketing a little bit too, but I believed what they showed me. And I'm just, that for me, that's why I love this film mm-hmm. is because it surprised me. This is the first film in a long, long time. And I mean, even including the bonds, the marvels where I've genuinely been excited to see it more than once. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I saw it with the wife and the in-laws. I then went to see it with my dad as his tradition. I go see star Wars with the man who introduced me to it. Um, and even now, I'm like a third showing. I would quite happily sit and watch a third showing. I can't remember the last time I, I enjoyed a film that much. I'm used, even Spectre. I kind of went in, watched it, and thought, "Yep, okay, I'll wait for it on Blu-ray now."
7: <laughs> I'm one of those people who loves to be surprised by the uh, by the media as it comes out. So I same same as you, James. I went through and I and I tried only to watch those original trailers, and that was it. So that, and you guys just touched on it briefly, but the surprise that Ray was the Force user mm. was such a welcome and cool change from what I expected was going to happen. Because obviously all the production stills and uh, the poster itself, as well as some of the spots, have Finn holding that blue lightsaber going, all right, well, we know what's going to happen. It's this guy's going to be, he's going to be the hero, he's going to be the Jedi and uh, somebody's going to have to train him. And that and that twist, that surprise. And I picked up on it so late. Uh, it was oh, it was so refreshing, I think, would be the best term for me to describe that. moment It was, it was refreshing that Ray was the one who was going to be the Force user.
8: Two, I went into complete media blackout. I didn't want to know anything beyond the initial trailers. <laughs> didn't watch any of the TV spots, but... You know, hey, bravo to Disney marketing. They made me think, all right, well, we know Finn's going to be the force user. But the speculation I had going into it was that potentially Finn or not Finn, but Ray might also be a force user along with Finn. So it it was a, a nice surprise to see that no Finn's just an ordinary guy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, he's just a stormtrooper.
0: I thought all of them. Like, uh, I thought Poe was going to be a uh, Force sensitive. That uh, <laughs> uh, Kylo was going to be Force sensitive. I thought it was going to be like, uh, oh. look. Well, you know, when all of the Jedi and the Sith were eliminated, the Force basically just sort of meandered around the galaxy doing not much. And then in the interim years, it sort of you know awakens. Um, uh, has been awakened, and, and that, that certain you know more and more kids now, in the absence of the Jedi, are being born um with with Force powers. I think we're actually going to find that moving forward. It ain't just going to be Ray, but they certainly wanted to keep it sort of relegated to just two people for this this first outing. Uh, aside from well, two lead characters, because uh, there were others, including Maz, just to keep it special. It was very important that the Force be mystical and special, and that they do not use the M word. Yes. Keep it mystical. Oh my That's all great, I want. Great way to actually have people yell out in the cinema. Have the M word spoken. <laughs> there were there were actually several moments in the film that I'll, I'll probably pick up on more as I see it a second time. That it just seemed to be actually flipping the bird to George Lucas. Like, look, look, This is this is how we we're, we're doing it now, and we are now doing not only the exact opposite of what the prequels were, but we're actually kind of referencing. Like, you know, you, you want to be a clone? We're we're referencing what people yeah. kind of got tired with, and saying, what? "Don't worry about it, folks."
8: Well, think about the first words that were uttered in the movie. It was Max von Sydow. This will begin to make things right. Yes. yes. I think
0: you, you said that on the um, Paris ah. has, has just done a uh, remember when on the, yeah. exactly the same subject. And it's brilliant <laughs> stuff to listen to. Although Jay going, eh, I didn't really like it all that much made me sad. I
5: thought it was also interesting that they, they not so much flip the bird out, but really definitely turned their back on the eu i knew that disney when disney bought um film they said like yo everything that was in the eu or is now the legends is not canon i did wonder if there were gonna be a few nods genuinely right up to the moment where han solo steps onto the bridge and shouts kylo's name i was honestly expecting him to shout jason yeah, and I was oh, expecting yeah. Ray to be no her real name to be Jaina in a later episode. I and the fact when he shouted Ben, that for me was the moment. It's like right, they have completely turned their back on the books, novels, comics, everything. We are in new territory here. They're doing their own thing, and you know what? I like it so far. I think on a on a, a symbolic level if you've read through um you know what happened to the characters
0: and you know I haven't read through all of those books but I know roughly what happened with the uh, the the children of uh, the Solo's and Skywalker's Oh yeah um it, there's a there's a lot of Jason in Kylo, Yeah, uh, from what I can tell. I mean, this is good, like folks at home who've never read the EU and have never really been into it. Uh, Han and Leia's had twins, and they were their first kids. Good kids to begin with, but eventually one of them started getting worn down. You know, so, some people have been positing, maybe this is going to be a very similar storyline in that uh, he had to... Su- one fan theory that I read that I just I was like, whoa, no, was that Kylo is... Trying to infiltrate, so Ben oh, is trying to infiltrate the, yeah, uh, the Sith, this. and basically he's like this, like deep cover deep cop, and and so he, he spoke to Han. And he was like, "I need you to do something for me." He's like, "Anything?" He's like, "Yeah, I, I need you to, I, I need to kill you because it'll really convince Snoke that I'm totally on the level." Uh, this is what, the idea that like th- this also folded in like Luke being willing to do this, like you know, let's let's slaughter my entire academy full of Jedi kids yeah and then that'll you know gain you favour with Snoke never in a month
5: of Sundays I think this is the difficult the next few movies face the danger of again going back to what I was saying earlier we're now in an an age where so much stuff is speculated over that they're going to have to keep their cards so impossibly close to their chest because
0: things come out someone's going to be right basically someone's going to absolutely Mm. correctly guess this what, and so six guesses out of 70.
2: That can be a little bit dangerous sometimes because, I mean, this is why there are some authors who will specifically say to their fans, please do not write fan fiction about this world while I'm still working on it. Yeah. Because if there's any overlap between what I write and what you guys write, there could be problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, all fanfic should come under the banner of, look, if I'm writing this based on what I've seen of this series as it exists right now, I have absolutely no claim to this storyline. Because ultimately, there are really only about 10 storylines. So, uh, you know, everything that establishes from that is you know going to be variations on one of those 10. Mm. Uh, So, you know, the the idea of there being lengthy legal battles, people do it all the time. They say the Matrix was my idea.
1: Mm.
0: And some of them are valid and some of them really aren't.
5: The other danger of fanfic and fan theories going forward is not just 60, six out of 70 guesses or you know, however many people are going to be right. Mm. Even worse is however many people are going to be better. People yeah. may come up with better answers, better. So it means that when we do eventually get episodes eight and nine, they might not be as cool as we... I mean, you know, the, the theory that Kylo Ren was, Luke Skywalker, initially I thought, oh my God, that's going to be amazing. It turned out that, the, that what they've actually done is better, in my yeah. opinion. But if they had, if that had, if I'd seen Kylo Ren is, is Luke Skywalker, and it turned out Kylo Ren is, is no one with any connection, and is just a Vader imitator, and is just about... then I'd have come out of that film disappointed. It's like, well, why didn't they try the Luke yeah. Skywalker thing that's been all over the bloody internet? Simply because of speculation. Yeah,
2: maybe that's where the disappointment comes from that people have been um, mapping out their own storylines in their head for so long mm. that to be presented with it and it not match what's in their head exactly felt wrong to them because yeah. they'd become so familiar with the version of the storyline that they'd come up with yeah.
5: christ i did it to myself like even through my first viewing i was honestly expecting during the ray and kylo fight at the end i honestly expected luke to suddenly turn up with his green lightsaber <laughs> and save and save the day i don't know why i thought that but when, and when you watch it back on the second view, it's like actually, you know, I'm rather glad. Well, that's so. exactly what Yoda did in Episode Two. Don't yeah. want to evoke that one. Um, God, Mark Hamill CGI flipping all over the woods.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, after all of that crazy conspiracy theory about you know Kylo Ren is is going deep cover, there is a kernel of possibility that there may actually be even deeper uh, reasons for him. You know, I, I can I I don't think then they're, they're not going to deepen his character um i think we're going to find out more about what he this is speculation and i usually hate that but um the idea of somebody who is going down the dark side for what they believe to be altruistic reasons back when anakin did it it was like uh i need to be all powerful and protect padme and stop her from dying and for that i'll slaughter children and i'll choke her to death 10 minutes after i've made this decision. Good, good thinking there anakin you absolute bellend um, but, but what if somebody was uh, was basically, you know, uh, that th- we can bring peace to this war-torn galaxy. It requires this level of order. It requires sacrifice. I will give up everything to see this done. That well, is a much more interesting side to it. Uh, now, uh, granted,
7: they're the Legends warrior, universe now. Warrior. But yeah. Luke tried that in a comic series.
0: Dark and, Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
7: And <laughs> yeah? and Jason, who we mentioned, Jason so a a C-E-N. Yeah, solo tried the same thing. That was the first um, extended universe book series that I read. Was that yeah. arc where Jason and Jaina had that um, conflict?
2: That regards the um, integration of any of the EU stuff, though, if they do put any nods in um, to plot and character, I think that's all it's going to be because they've got their own series of comics coming out. They've got their mm. own continuity yeah. that they're creating. The last thing they want to do, or uh, I would, I would imagine, the last thing they want to do at this stage is take a group of people who have already got a million and one Attention, clamouring demands, yeah. um, and and hint to them that oh, in order to follow this, you might want to go and read all the EU stuff. No, I don't think they ever say that. And, no. no, well, that's what I mean. But I, I I think that's why they would steer clear of anything that made a definite connection. Between even them. even
5: their journey to the Force Awakens material, so like the you know, the comics, the novels, the uh, mobile game, and the kids' books that they've done. Even those like they're they're only tenuously connected to the new film because they know that not everyone is going to rush out and read everything into it
0: yeah mm. while the prequels are still canon they may as well not be while watching the force awakens because mm. they don't really reference back to them there's nothing you need to have seen the pre that's what's a big relief actually we mm. could just tell people watch four five six seven
5: yeah <laughs> or, probably or
0: seven four five six which is going to be a new recommended order
8: but th- but see what you just said brings up the point because i know a lot of oh, people man. are disappointed about you know, a lot of the extended universe being wiped from existence. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. They're not tied to this 30 years of extended universe canon, which, you know, which pigeonholes them into having to go down a certain path because all that stuff happened. So now you take that away, they can do whatever they want. And like you bring up the prequels. I joked around before we uh, actually started recording that I'm just going to pretend that the prequels no longer exist Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a good thing. Dude, I, I highly doubt we'll ever hear the words midi-chlorian again. Yeah. It, it's not going to happen. They, they don't want to be tied down to that. They want the force to be oh. this this mythical and magical thing. You know, the force is just magic. It just is instead of, well, actually, there's these little beings that are in your body and blah, 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 blah. Nobody yeah. needs to know that. You know, you just know is the force. It makes you do incredible things. And it's great. They might make
0: it a laugh. They might like have a character start to say it and then get cut off for whatever exactly. reason. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> that is, you, you want to, do you want this one to be the one that fails? Uh, I think somebody said um, the first movie that somehow legitimizes Jar Jar or destroys him, one or the other, will be like the fan favorite. <laughs> the, the the one that basically says, you know what, all of that tomfoolery was for a reason, and Jarjo actually had a clue. I know the stupid fan theory about uh, him being the the, the deep dark side The
7: ultimate something. dark side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Um, it,
0: it's kind of fun, but um, the <laughs> it, the idea that uh, it was like, oh, by the way, uh, on that planet uh, where the uh, the Senate got destroyed, Jarjo was there. Or you know, just uh, like in Rogue One, it was like they just destroyed Alderaan. Senator Binks was on that planet. <laughs> that would be good. That was
1: good.
0: <laughs> or something That's like great. that. They could, yeah, they could they could totally legitimately do that in a kind of one line, one wink, one nod. No, we'll say no more about it, shall we? Okay. Kind of like well, uh, the the moment when uh, Han grabbed that uh, guy, like didn't have to at all. And it was like I'm just gonna toss you into the maw of this monster thing. Han through first. <laughs> Okay, so shall we talk about the Han analog? Oh, actually, before we do that, I've sent you guys all a picture of Luke Skywalker. This is like a vintage Star Wars production still. It's Luke holding his really, really long rifle. And I've always kind of associated Luke with sort of like holding this this rifle. So the idea that Rey was holding her big, long um, staff, you know, wearing similarly Tatooiney kind of clothes... I always associated her with Luke. I her never outfit. suspected for a moment she wouldn't be a Force user. And right. I, I was I was kind of praying that those that stuff would not be concealing lightsabers. Because I was like, there's no way that that's like a double-ended, really long lightsaber.
7: <laughs> I thought uh, her, her outfit on, was also fairly reminiscent of uh, Obi-Wan's yeah. Jedi robes, too. The way that the, the fabric across her front crossed over her chest. I thought that was See, oddly she... Jedi-like
5: at the risk of coming up with my own wacky fan theory, I'm really kind of hoping she's a Kenobi. Yes, <laughs> that's one that <laughs> because, I'm Because Obi-Wan had 20 years between episodes 3 and 4. You're not telling me he didn't <laughs> get drunk in a cantina and take a slave girl home. Oh my <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so gosh. How damn York charming York. is he?
0: I would say that the odds are that she's either a Skywalker or a Kenobi, because the idea of her being a Solo seems uh, like she'd just end up being Kylo's sister. It's not, yeah, I don't think
7: she has to be though, and I yeah, that's a good. It's point. fun to it's fun to imagine kind of those those lines and seeing if there's a family connection there. But I am a big. I've always loved the Force. Like the mm-hmm. Force is always my favorite part of Star Wars, and I love the idea of. The Force itself is – it's always kind of trying to balance itself out. Um, and and it occasionally immaculately in conceives the, children. In, <laughs> in, it feels no. in, in the case to me that for Ray, I think the Force wants her to be on the light side. And I think – and I don't think the Force itself is necessarily like a, okay, this one here, this one there kind of a thing. But I think there's definitely a guidance um, that's kind of otherworldly that comes from that. And based on her vision, that's where a lot of people are getting this, this Kenobi relation idea or or maybe Skywalker relation idea. But I honestly, I think that's just because she is a very powerful yet untrained Force user, as, as Kylo said, uh, he had a line to Snoke. I think that it's just the Force reaching out to her and trying to kind of help open her eyes to that larger world, that new Mm. place where her character needs to go. I think that it would be just fine. In fact, I'd kind of prefer it if she was not a relation to another past character. Um, It was either Alex or Sharon that said it on the previous part uh, that I listened to today that said Ray's character strength, a lot of that also really helps establish her as her own self Mm. by not being somebody's kid's sister or somebody's Mm. girlfriend or somebody's blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. Um, that sounds and I like really...
2: something I would say.
7: <laughs> Not an extension yeah. of a male character. And I really subscribe to that idea because I and I and I want Ray to be her own entity. Um, because well, I was raised by a feminist, so a lot of that has has kind of petered into the way that I look at the world and look at the way that that people relate to each other. But I really want that for Ray for her character for the ability to build that as she is someone who is a character with merit on her own, it's not because she's a Kenobi or a Skywalker or anything like yeah. that that she's got it. Mm. However, Star Wars does seem to be the misadventures of the Skywalker family overall. It is very family-oriented. So it could yeah. there could be a connection there, but Ben is that connection right now. We know mm. he's a Solo who is Luke's sister's son.
0: Well, I mean, basically, if she's... If she's not Kenobi's child, then the Kenobi line could f- feasibly be dead with Ben it, or, or Obi-Wan. If the, she's not Luke's child, that Skywalker line could be dead with Luke, unless they introduce a new character later on.
7: Give me a Mara Jade. Come on. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> to uh, one feasible possibility that she's a Kenobi, um, two lines in that flashback, one of them uh, from uh, a newly recorded dialogue from Ewan McGregor. Uh, I think he was re-recording a line that uh, um, the, uh, Alec Guinness originally said. Uh, and another is as a original piece of archival Alec Guinness footage where he's saying afraid, but they cut out the F and D. So it just says Ray.
5: Yeah. I read about that afterwards. Afterwards, I soaked up all the trivia I could get. I love yes. the... Uh, I think it's J.J. J. Abrams' quote about Ewan. Like, they, they weren't sure whether or not Ewan would come back and just record this one line that's going to get whispered over a vision. And he said, no... Ewan was more than happy to came, you know, come in he came in, he recorded his lines and then he rode off his mo- on his motorcycle, he is literally the coolest actor I know no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just made me so damn hungry for an anthology film that is a young Obi-Wan, or rather mm. slightly older than the Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan film with Ewan yeah. McGregor, because he was a saving grace in the prequels, let's bring him back give him a chance to actually give him a chance to actually work with some material that's actually decent and do what he originally intended to do back in the 90s, early 2000s yeah. he was
8: Tatooine was Knight in that a couple in things on, on that um I, I agree what you're saying initially that i would love it if ray isn't related to any of them highly doubt it i'm sure he, she's probably related to someone so i like the kenobi theory mm-hmm. and as far as ben kenobi himself goes they did set a precedent in the clone wars cartoon which is still considered canon mm-hmm. that he fell in love and mm-hmm. so much so that he told her i will give up my, I, I will leave the Jedi Order for you, just say the word. Now, she was later killed by Darth Maul, mm-hmm. so I don't think that's necessarily the connection, but like you said, there's 20 years in between Episode 3 and 4, so yeah. there, there's a good chance that there could be an offspring of the Kenobis, and then, like you were just talking before about... Yeah, to be Kenobi's granddaughter. Though. Right, right, right the granddaughter. But just like we were talking about, this could be the end of the Skywalker, uh, the Skywalker line, mm. well... Ben Kenobi, as far as we know, is the end of that line. So yeah. I'm sure they want to keep a Kenobi as well as a Skywalker as we we move forward with, with the Star Wars movies. So I, I, I think it would be a nice tie in because then you're looking at the grandkids of, of Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know, being the basically the main villain and hero of, of this trilogy. It, it'd be a nice twist to it. So I, I could see it.
0: I wish that Lucas had not introduced the monastic side of the Jedi in uh, um, I agreed one through three because that that cuts off the idea of family being something that the Force can gather around. It also makes um, Ben and Yoda exiling themselves to Tatooine and and, uh, uh, Dagobah seems like punishment penance. If they're like, right, I am going to live a hermit like existence because of what I failed to prevent.
7: I think that's what Luke is doing right now too.
0: Yeah. Um, but if the if like they were only going to live alone and and loveless and sexless and joyless and every other emotion that make, makes us feel alive, then they're not really missing much, are they? <laughs> um, apart from you know just like wallowing in regret, which I'm assuming, like since Yoda kept going, miss them, do not. I thought Jedi weren't supposed to regret anything. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of confusion in, in the uh, the writing of the prequels, which unfortunately tarnishes the uh, the OT. I, it would have been great if back when Disney were just cutting and everything, that they were like, let's cut everything but four, five, six. Let's just go ahead and
8: say not Lucas prequels didn't happen. But didn't Lucas have, as a part of the sale, that certain, certain. certain things had to stay in? Though no, it I'm had to have sure. happened. Yeah, Anakin
0: had to have slain children. It is my will. Uh, but the other reason not to for Disney is it's actually financial. It's the Clone Wars. That was that was what kept Star Wars alive between those god awful prequels and um, and Episode Seven. That for a lot of kids, that is Star Wars. So there's actually less of a harsh moving forwards for them because they've had rebels to sort of bridge that gap so which ties in
5: so closely to clone wars yeah
0: and frankly having seen a whole bunch of clone wars they're all better than the prequels so um that's it's not a terrible thing that at least that's tied in with it so you know some of the episodes of clone wars are actually really really good it's just that you kind of gotta find them anyway let's talk about characters shall we yes okay if there's anything about Rey or Finn or um, Kylo or Han or I think Hux we also described in the first one that we didn't mention that you really need to get said. No I want to know last time.
7: names and first names for some of these characters.
8: <laughs> mm. That might be for a secret reason.
7: I expect it, so. It,
8: if I could say one thing about Finn, because I don't think you said this in there. If you did, I do apologize. Mm. But from my point of view... Finn is us. He's the audience. Oh yeah. yeah. That, that that's how I view him. He's he what would you do if you were in that situation? You mm-hmm. try and run too, for example. You know, it's he 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 displayed us because I know a lot of people had a complaint about him that he came off kind of as a coward. Yeah. But if you were it's in it's <laughs> Yeah, but if you were trying to run from the first order, you were used to be a stormtrooper. You wanted out of that life of course you're going to try and run. It, it yeah. just makes sense. So I, didn't I, I viewed him as the run. I mean, it's a role. You have every goddamn
0: reason to run. That's exactly. it's, it's human nature to be like, this is too much. Sorry, Paris, I talked over you there.
8: No, no worries.
2: Um, that's one of the reasons, actually, that I was um, quite chuffed that Finn turned out not to be the Force user. Because for once, it makes the film not about, you know, ultimately, I'm going to be this big, bad, powerful person you get to be the small guy.
0: There's a lot of, we want to see a white man becoming powerful, kicking ass and um, being able to just be a a dark anti-hero who's still in the absolute moral right. There's a lot of desire to see that story replicate itself over and over and over again. That's why Batman is so very, very popular and, and, and why the Batman fan base can end up being extremely unpleasant.
7: And there, I mean, there's the joke that's about Batman that's been around forever, which is what are Batman's superpowers? It's that he's white and he's rich. Yeah. And it's gross, but that's what people subscribe to.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, if your issues with the film don't basically revolve around that, I'm probably going to be able to listen a, a lot more to what you have to say. If it's like, we wanted that... There's two. There's too many other films delivering exactly that for this to also be the same thing. But Paul Dameron is a white man, and uh, actually, hang on, he's uh, he's Latino, isn't he? So, yes. uh, so already it's it's going it's going beyond that standard. Um, I have only seen Oscar Isaac in things like Sucker Punch, where he plays a disgusting pimp. <laughs> And Ex Machina, where he plays an inventor who's so lazy and grotesque and horrible that I'm like, how did you invent a robot? And I I was like, oh, he is going to be the weak link in this movie. I have no interest in Oscar Isaac. Okay, you may as well give him to me. I did not expect to be like, yay,
5: Poe! I think Poe was perhaps the most impressive of the three newcomers because he warms himself, the audience warms to him so quickly and so thoroughly more so you know Finn, Finn, and ray have at least two hours of screen time with which you can think yeah you know what i love these two Poe's on it for in for what 20 30 minutes at most oh it's probably less and than that it's probably less than that and you friggin love him like yes. i just it, already i'm rooting for him in like the rest of the series like it, it, it and him and the uh the the poe and finn bromance or as as we like to call it at home the pomance um, nice. I am <laughs> loving the opponents
2: I believe by the way the official ship name is storm pilot if anybody wants to google it storm,
5: pilot, storm nice <laughs>
0: yeah there's's there's been an explosion of sudden interest in shipping in that and uh, that's that's pretty awesome somebody I can't remember who I'm sorry about this tweeted that the beginning of episode 8 should be Finn wakes up Poe is standing there <laughs> And Another thing is that no one's been saying that Poe, you know, for all of his incredible pilot abilities and, you know, extreme likability and being extremely virtuous and skillful with an X-Wing, no one's said he's a Gary soon.
5: No. But what I like like about him is, like, he's... Oh, because
0: he's had training, so that's all right. Yeah,
5: initially when you meet him, like, the the bit when um, they're escaping the the Super Star Destroyer thing, um, you you know, can you fly this thing? I can fly anything. In that second you think, you arrogant bastard. (laughs) But then you see that sweeping shot of him over um, Takanaka, over um, Mazzy's watering hole, and you're like, you know what? You can. I'm very impressed with this. I mean, they introduced him as the
2: most daring pilot in the uh, Resistance or something, isn't
5: it? Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah.
0: Back in the original script, Poe was supposed to die in that sand hole. He was supposed to be the thing that gets Finn up and moving and uh, gets him... You know, he takes his jacket and inherits that uh, link to the Resistance. But... um, You know, basically Oscar Isaac got so into his character with J.J., and they were working out, you know, his past, his history, his family. They flew with Luke Skywalker and all that stuff, and he was so into doing Star Wars that uh, J.J. just found him up and went, yeah, you don't die. Yeah, figured it out. And so everyone was like, well, how did he get out of that
5: sand pit? I'll tell you how he got out, because he's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's about all we need. He's also good because he he adds – I mean, a lot of the characters add more depth to the other characters, but he adds, he adds that little bit more depth to um, BB-8, because when BB-8 arrives after the battle at um, Maz's watering hole, and he's rushing across the airfield to get to Poe, having not seen him since the start of the film, it really shows you how loyal that little ball-shaped droid can be. Mm. And how how close it you know how close the connection is between the two? I you get the sense that there have been lots of ve- adventures between Poe and B- BB-8, which I'd quite happily look into, like in the in the new expanded universe. Mm. Yeah, B B A BBA yeah. anthology this also was the featuring only...
7: Poe. Uh, this was the only thing that the trailers had had thrown or had had spoiled for me. Uh, yeah, because you pause... Poe going, Ooh, I'm alive. Yeah, you see Poe in, in an two. X-wing later on. No, trailer one. In yeah, exactly, and. So I was, you know, the crash happened, I was like, oh, he'll be back. I knew that. And I kind of wish they hadn't put that See, in. See, I'd forgotten
5: that. I'd forgotten right. that. So when so he would returned, I. it's like and that's I, just I wonderful moment.
7: Yeah. But I, I really liked uh, I really liked what Poe was doing. Cause and it took it I one of my friends told me this and I told him I was gonna steal it. Uh, it took them a whole ten minutes of movie to build this instant connection, this instant friendship between Finn and Poe, mm. that it took George Lucas three movies to not really get right with uh, a <laughs> with a romance between a couple of leads.
8: It's true. <sighs> so I'd, I'd even it's throw in there I'm the so in the, the friendship between Anakin and Obi Wan. I never bought it in the yeah. prequels either. Oh yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: And that's where the whole may the force be with you comes from it's not from between the jedi stuff it's actually between um uh, Finn and Poe and that kind of hey how's it going kid? And they're just sort of like meeting up in each other it's it really called back uh, to mind the whole yavin base yeah and th- this is why it's almost like if they'd said oh by the way guys star wars episode 7 it's going to be essentially a remake would people have complained that bitterly no like the idea that it it was a this is a deceptive sneaky remake like I mean, right. it's almost like if you'd told us it was going to be a remake, there would have been fewer surprises, surely.
2: This is the thing, though, and I discussed this it's with you It's a UK bad today, surprise, though. And I think this is a massive element of this backlash. This is a group of people who are convinced that the worst possible thing that can happen to them in the world is to be tricked. And they the last thing they want is to be caught out by saying they liked this, and then have a load of people turn around and go, actually, it wasn't really all that good, which is kind of what happened to some extent with The Phantom Menace. There were a lot of people that were much more enthusiastic about it when it first came out, who later that enthusiasm dropped. And (laughs) I bet you, I bet you cash money that there is some element of right this happened before and i was being laughed at by my friends because i was still saying phantom menace was great and everybody else had decided it was pants and they don't want to be the last kid that twigs the emperor is not wearing any clothes
0: i can understand that um, i just don't I hope that understand their, their views soften over time but it feels like they are gonna people the people who hate this one are really gonna hate the next one because the next one they may do something new, but it may be the something new that they don't want. Mm,
2: it's going to take the things they didn't like and, and deepen them even further. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the-
0: worst case scenario, it's an Empire remake.
2: Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no we can't have that. Um, speaking of, of the dynamic between Poe and the other characters, actually, one thing I did want to say um, that we didn't get around to for the first podcast. Um, the The way the three of them kind of bounce off each other was part of what I thought worked really well. the, the There are echoes back to the original um, tripod of characters. But it's it's kind of mixed up. There's no direct analogs. So you've got Ray is a little bit Leia and a little bit Luke and a little bit Han. And Finn is a little bit Han in the sort of reluctant hero sense and a lot Luke in the fish out of water sense. Um, and then Poe is kind of a little bit Luke later on when he's all um, piloted up and and everybody's hero um, and a little bit Han in the kind of daring do and and. Um,
1: uh, and the so jacket first, as well
2: first. kind of made me think of Han because Han was defined by his jackets for
5: me. Yes. Okay, so how about Phasma? I don't think she was used enough. I uh, yeah, this, I kind of spoiled this for myself ever so slightly where I think it was um, it was the Jimmy Fallon a cappella Star Wars music video that went up where you saw various members of the cast <laughs> yep. um, singing the tune, which was brilliant, by the way. But um, it was then that I realised, um, is it Gwendolyn Christie? Um the woman who plays Brienne of Tarth, as I know yes. her from uh, Yeah. I real, I didn't realise she was Phasma. So when you go in and think brilliant, this has got Brienne of Tarth in it and she's again she's in it for like ten minutes. I th- yeah. I'm quietly hoping that, well, as much as Wendelin Christie, thank you. Okay. Um, oh, and
0: she loves her character. as so well she was like uh, phot- photographing herself all over Twitter, holding up her action figure, going,
5: "Yeah, why not?" Um, I, I, I I quietly hope that, as much as she was she was dropped into a trash compactor, or it's implied that she was dropped into a trash compactor, she might have found a way out, like the <laughs> original uh, three did. I'm
0: going to give you a 99% guarantee that Phasma's coming back. I hope so, because she
5: not used enough. And, like, the, the, the striking look of the chrome trooper with the cape, that it, it, it's almost back to the old Boba Fett thing of, you know, Boba Fett looks cool, let's hope he actually does something cool. So far, she's walked around <laughs> holding a gun. Not unlike Boba Fett yeah that's, that's what, what the
0: comparison's been
7: from what I understand uh, my best friend who has been doing a lot of reading about this uh, told me about it he said that the original cut of the movie was almost three hours long
1: what? <gasps> okay <laughs>
0: uh, so, sorry please extended I,
2: I just, edition, please extended edition. I, <laughs> yeah, I just had
0: an extended edition <laughs> 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 sorry sorry carry on <laughs>
1: Carry so so
7: uh, there were, apparently there was a lot more, um, a well. lot more that was that was dropped, and I, I'm very excited to see what kind of things hit the um, hit the Blu-ray. What kind of extended things or alternate scene ideas or, or just extended scenes are going to be around for that.
0: See, they missed a trick there. With uh, um, that, the, they said there's going to be no stinger at the end. That we're not doing the Marvel Universe. Brienne of Tar flying through space, spinning round and round inside a, some kind of sunproof trash compactor. Going, <laughs> well, this is shit. <laughs> what they will need for the next one is a military commander who can, cl- you know, clearly be much more scary than than Hux. Ultimately, Kylo Ren is not in an emotionally stable enough place to control that many. Troops. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Phasma will at least be double-handing it with whoever's controlling the Navy. Unless it's not. Maybe it
5: won't. Maybe it'll be less like Empire. Even if they cop out and they say, yeah, they they bring back Phasma, but they say it's a clone of the other Phasma. Like, yeah, the the little cheeky line of, oh, maybe they should use clone troopers. It means clones are still kind of in use somewhere. Just somehow, if they can bring her back, they mass woefully underused her. And I think it almost needs to be kind of, a you know, characters in peril. We don't know who is, who is endangering them. And then a big reveal of, that's it, it's Captain Phasma. Particularly yeah. if it's Finn. Because you get the sense that there's a definite, like, um, there is a, a, a relationship between Finn and Phasma in terms of, you know, previous commander. You can see when he's, you know, um, holding her at gunpoint, it's like, "I'm in charge now. I'm in charge now." There's so much um, <laughs> aggression pent up there from all his time underneath her, as a yeah, you know, beneath her as a as a lowly stormtrooper. Mm. I think that relationship needs to be explored more.
0: Yeah, she's actually she's definitely a link to him and and his story as it expands. So that's <laughs> it, that's if he's still. I mean, it's it's almost like he'll be on some sort of. Uh, machine-enabled ability to walk because it seems like Kylo Ren severed his damn spine. Mm. So uh, we don't know what's going to... They'll
5: give him an X-Men-style floating wheelchair or something.
0: Yeah. Mm. Uh, Actually, speaking of uh, Finn and his job beforehand, um, he knows how to install a toilet main. The, it, that's that job is a reference to something Randall said in Clerks
6: the first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army the only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries,
5: Imperials basically so when they blew it up, no problem, evil's punished and the second time around? the second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet it was still under construction so? so a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. And not just impures. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, he's a stormtrooper plumber. So, yeah, the First Order are a bunch of bastards. I expected there to be more of a case of, ah, but if you look at it from a certain point of view, these guys are, you know, trying to instill order. But they came in and they were just shooting the place up and being terrible as, uh,
5: you know, kind of your classic black-and-white villains, you know? Mm. And finally Um, using flamethrowers. Uh, Yeah. After the whole, you know, Owen and Beru Lars dying but never seeing a stormtrooper. Using a flamethrower thing, it's like okay, right, fine, good. Stormtroopers yeah. do use flamethrowers, literally packing heat. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing I noticed that's a, a major one, aside from the fact that they've gone for the uh, the extremely um, like black and white heroes and villains again this time, which they could indeed um, give gradations of uh, uh, shades of grey later. I would love to find out that a lot of the First Order are actually um, from remnants of uh, Empire sympathizing rebels or just some. Something that sprang from the original rebellion, because um, the resistance may not just be the you know what the rebels are now.
5: Mm. Uh, but I feel like that sort of thing though is the sort of stuff they're exploring, things like the aftermath novels, and rather uh, than the actual films. Do you think? Yeah, I, I, I just I think that 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 level of depth. I think for the films, they're quite happy with just first order bad, resistance good, go
0: yeah maybe so maybe they don't want to uh, uh to complicate it. Uh, it it almost it seems now that they've uh, made their like fastest billion ever yeah um they're not gonna mess with the formula all that much I think the fact certainly not to please people who are complaining about it.
5: the fact alone that they just they just say I think it's 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 just you know mentioned in the opening crawl and then a couple of lines just the first order rose from the empire. that's all you need to know the first order is essentially the empire like mm. that that's I, I, it kind of surprised me that they didn't just call it the empire mm. like i, I guess I, I, other than that would take away from the victory of return of the jedi yeah i think that that is all the explanation we're going to get a, a, about the first order certainly for the foreseeable
0: war war never changes it's the idea of uh, you know the, the factions change name but they're still ultimately representing very similar things yeah yeah.
5: which Maz says yeah, with her whole I've seen him evil in many forms the Sith, the Empire, the, the mm. First Order it's like these are all the same thing
0: things that someone pointed out i can't remember who uh, it might actually have been bob chipman uh, that there's a generational conflict and a meta narrative uh, running through the film of new kids just starting out so when uh, daisy says you know i've, I've had stories about the force it's she's speaking from the point of view of the, the new kids going into star wars and like well okay old man tell us why these this original mythology was interesting and fun and good and then the episode seven then proceeds to tell you that writ large so uh, it's the you know the the old guard sort of shepherding in the new that's that that's what i said originally when they cast um the uh, the original characters the, for the first time i said <clears throat> that is a good thing we have one chance really to get these guys back in the saddle and then from then on it can all be about the future but there needs to be that blessing from the old
7: yeah a handoff forts,
0: to old spock them you know <laughs> and uh, uh it's also spacing it out because it's if Luke had been in this one, I don't know if we said it in our first podcast, it might have been. Sharon, I said it. He would have swamped the whole film because everything bad that the c- galaxy is currently riven by, kind of, it, it boils down
5: to him, and to a much much lesser extent, like R two D two. If there were, we came out, like my main laws were complaining, there wasn't enough R two D two because mm. he's only in at the end. But if he had been, BB eight would have loved BB eight quite so much. Yeah, exactly.
0: They've been like, hey, it's R2, and diet R2. <laughs> and also the other, the other major influence, I think I sort of referenced it a couple of times in the first one, uh, it seems to be Harry Potter. They've really, really gone for that idea of secrets happened in the past, you've now got kids being ushered through by the old guard, who were the teachers at Hogwarts. Uh, and, and and told you all know, those oh, bad things happened. There are secrets, and you know we can't find it all out right now. And this, you know, fan theories are going to um, boil uh, throughout the internet for j- just like the Harry Potter novels for years until this thing plays itself out, and then they'll move on to another one.
5: But I think that's a good thing. I think yeah, the fact that they've learned from from Harry Potter. because Harry Potter is narratively, I think, is the the only other thing that comes to mind that's had the most impact on the mainstream public. Mm. as you know since star wars star wars happened cinema changed everyone went mental for it everyone tried to capture that magic and didn't quite manage it in cinema but then in literature you have this harry potter moment this this mm. you know series where everyone swam, swarms around the books and speculates and has favorite characters and least favorite characters etc and now star wars has not only to live up to the original trilogy but also things like harry potter yeah so yeah. it makes sense that they they've learned from that
0: does this and here's another question does this really have to be a trilogy because obviously they're moving forwards does it have to be uh, episode seven episode eight and then we will conclude this major arc with episode nine and then we'll start afresh with an episode 10 which i'm guessing will come like two years down the road after the next anthology film or do they just make episode 10 the fourth in this series the goblet and then just keep going
5: Uh, maybe it kind of feels like because we're so now used to watching cinematic universe films yeah you know that it's the trilogy i mean it feels like such a constraining story structure yeah to To have to sort of like well the third one would have to sort of go
0: back to the first one and and, you know if they're gonna go with trilogy rules and just elaborate on that and you know often take something which you took for granted the first time around and change it around But then it's like, like, how do you have an ending there when everyone knows we're carrying on with this one?
8: Mm. I feel it is going to be a trilogy because I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing the hero and the villain's journey of Rey Mm. and Kylo. Like, Mm. for example, wouldn't surprise me at all if they don't even encounter each other in episode eight. And episode nine is kind of the, you know, the penultimate encounter between the two. Showdown. And that, yeah, the big showdown. And then that ends that story arc, whether one of them survives it, both of them survives it, and then episode 10 starts a completely new chapter in this Star Wars saga, because look, they've already said, there was a great article in uh, Wired, none of us on this podcast will be alive when Star Wars ends, because they're going to do it forever. You know, yeah. They're not going to stop, so the story's going to continue beyond episode 9, but I'm I'm sure they want to give us a, 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 a start, a middle, and a finish, so it it just makes sense to do that in a trilogy, even if you look at marvel and what they're doing with like captain america iron man thor etc they do their stories and trilogies so
0: that's true yeah they have they're concluding captain america they conclude they concluded iron man thor will be concluding his one Hmm. but then at the same time the avengers is not going to be when the set that for a start the third avengers movie is two movies And that's not going to be the last Avengers movie. So if you look at these episodes as the sort of, like, everyone coming together. But then again, actually looking at it, the anthologies. Do you guys know what uh, the anthology movies are going to be? I
5: know that the first one's Rogue One. The second is December
0: 2016. Yeah, it's uh, Force Awakens. Then A Year From Now, Rogue One. Then May 2017, Episode 8. May 2018, a year from then, Han Solo. May 2019 will be episode 9. May 2020, an untitled, a third anthology movie.
5: Which, that alone to me, implies there is more to come. Oh, God. Because, you know, that's going to be the teaser of, you know... Nine, as Paris says, will probably conclude this story arc. That anthology film could potentially be used to kick off... at At the risk of using a Marvel terminology again, the next phase
0: basically um you could go to a different time you could go to a different place jump forwards um like you know by a number of years but you're almost like if for for your episode 10 if you're going to move this forwards but you're squandering the actors that you've got right there that you know are totally going to be on board for it and that people have already developed a love for and a figure collection of i suspect they will basically stay along this timeline for as long as they possibly can before effectively rebooting in some capacity because again, these, uh, uh, um, you know, even more so than Marvel, uh, Star Wars goes way beyond just the individual characters and the individual roles. It c- you can introduce a Luke type character ten films down the
5: line. I just hope we don't get Episode Nine Part One. Episode 9, part 2. <laughs> because, I, I, you know, they've done that with, like, Mockingjay, Deathly Hallows, Twilight, pre- Infinity War. Deathly think... Hallows, it was totally valid, but the other. Yeah, is... okay, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm I, not sure.
0: Infinity War, I think, will probably. It means we're going to get more Guardians of the Galaxy, I suspect, so that's possibly,
5: but good. I, I just kind of. This feels like it's the one series where that wouldn't work. The parts
7: 1 and 2, like you said, with with Potter, it makes sense, but with a lot of them, it's because they came from. A standalone course, from from yeah, books yeah. from a novel,
5: yeah.
7: and the detail and the amount of story that's told usually by the end of a novel series, it, they get there's a lot of loose ends to wrap up and there's a lot of things to finish yeah. in those stories. But Star Wars has always been written as a film first.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, they'll be, and they'll be moving forward rather than right. Let's get that one wrapped up and
7: exactly. I mean, that's why I think episode three had a lot of had a lot of weak spots because it was tie it together, tie it together. Okay, this is going to be the okay. We need to get Yoda to Dagobah. We need to get Obi Wan to yeah. Tatooine. We need to and they just wrap it up, and it's kind of they they almost pulled a Return of the King with that one with all the different things they had to finish at the end. <laughs>
0: Well, they they almost made it as good as one of the best movies of all time, but they didn't somehow. <laughs> yeah.
7: I mean, now granted, I do. I love Lord of the Rings trilogy because there's only one and it's good. and But Return of the King, it did seem to have several endings right in a row, but they worked. They kind of flowed into each mm-hmm. other. Whereas, but they were
0: slave to the text, as you say. Exactly,
7: but, because they were trying to wrap up okay, this is the stuff that we need to establish. What's going to happen to Bilbo? What's going to happen to Frodo? What's going to happen to Sam?
0: Ostensibly, Infinity War, though, is um, they, they divided it in two because they had the actors contractually obliged to do these three Avengers films. And they're like, well, if we cut this third film into two, then we can do four films, but they're still technically doing just their third film. Yes, we're going to agree, but at the same time, there can be like that. That could be really a good move. Well, yeah, it's, it's basically what we're talking about here is is um, you know whether it boils down to Star Wars having what feels like a perceived ending and then continuing or just continuing. Yeah, ultimately, ending characters and character arcs rather than ending stories. If you know what I mean. Mm. Oh, the Millennium Falcon! What was it like seeing the bloody
5: glorious? I screamed. Just even on the second viewing, like again, because this is how much I bought into the marketing, and I, I think I kind of took everything in the trailers almost a little bit too literally. I think I always because of the way the trailers were cut, I always assumed that the Millennium Falcon was. You know, crashed, parked somewhere in the wreck of the Super Star Destroyer and they fly it out of the wreckage having found it you know, during a scavenging trip or something when they're running away from the outpost and you know, you're what, 20 minutes, half an hour into the film and you're caught up in the new Star Wars there's not much old Star Wars there at all mm. and you're, you're you're by that point you're pretty invested in, in the current new adventure everything's blowing up it's like, oh what about that ship over there? oh that ship's garbage Didn't even occur to me. Did not occur to me. (laughs) Thing goes like, okay, the bar garbage will do. Turn your pans around, little John Williams flair of the Rebel theme is like, oh, (laughs) hell yes, this is where we get started. For me, this is kind of the... um, I'd listen back to the old, uh, the, old the, the original Gonzo episodes we done on this. Like Return of the Jedi, the moment mm-hmm. where that gets started for me is the Sarlacc pick fight where it's you know, mm-hmm. Star Wars theme and antics and everything is going up and it's like, brilliant, this is what we love Star Wars for. The moment that, that ship is on screen, it's like, yes, Chewie, we're home. Only other thing I'd say about the Falcon, my God, that ship can take a beating. Yes, yeah. it can. They, they put it through the ringers this time round. It's like how that thing is still flying is just amazing.
0: <laughs> got it where it counts. Matt originally said that there was a logistical reason you couldn't keep bringing the Falcon back, that ultimately it's a, it's a practical machine designed to survive in the vacuum of space. It would have leaks by now, surely. Um, so yeah, I, I assume Han has overhauled and overhauled it, but at the same time though, you know, it, it seemed to have been in just about good enough shape and, 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 you know, kept in good Nick in that junkyard. But I mean, just like Finn sat in that seat. I think I said this in in episode one, in the, in the first part of this, um, it was like going back in time. Yeah. Because I don't think anyone's actually sat in that seat since that first one, and the old interface
5: in there, yeah. Because yeah, even in like Battle of Endor, you don't, I don't, don't, don't see seem to be anyone out. sitting in the gunner seats. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, like you know, you've got the old interface back. Just it's the 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 favourite moment for me, for the with the exception of the the obvious reveal that the Millennium Falcon's back. It's the moment where Han walks into the cockpit and he just stands there and smiles, and there's a little swell of the Star Wars theme. Is like, yeah. This is. We've missed this. Mm. We've really missed this, and it's amazing how attached you can be to a ship that doesn't exist.
0: Notably, those two things were things that were not in the prequels. The uh, it was young Han was not there, thank God, and they did not denigrate the Falcon. So it's uh, th- these were things that I felt, um, that, uh, it would appear, um, that the production team agreed uh, needed to be brought back to just to bring that that feeling back. Uh, but at the same time. It, you know, what they are works, and even people who have never seen Star Wars. I'm gonna, you know, clearly there are people going to see this that have never seen Star Wars before.
5: Statistically speaking, it's made more than any other previous Star Wars. I went with one of them. I actually, anecdotally, um, so my brother-in-law's girlfriend, like, they, they hadn't seen any of the Star Wars films. The first one they watched was Force Awakens. So we came out. I asked her, nice. it, like, so did you understand any of it? I said. And she said, yeah, bits of it. I said, well, did you enjoy it? She's like, it was brilliant. I want to watch the rest. So nice. it, it, is, it is a gateway. It's proven. It is a gateway.
0: So that whole thing about, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I said. The idea of it like in the first one, the idea of it being a remake, there is a deep, deep positive note to that. It's not all just for us, but at the same time, what we can mine for us, there is such a rich vein for Star Wars fans to just chew on. Um, Speaking of which, your fave, John Williams. (laughs) Did you, James, like me, expect... Or... Or even... Or... 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 Or any other like major hummable, dicky dicky dick theme that you'd be wandering out humming
5: to yourself. I hoped, I hoped, because <laughs> what's the last stuff he did? Was it the last stuff he did the Harry Potter films, or has he done stuff since? Oh, John Williams, yeah. Right, what has he done a Second, I've actually
0: got myself a. I put together a John Williams collection. I won't read you all of them, but I'll just count back. Um, he did the Book Thief, Lincoln, Warhorse, Tintin, Crystal Skull. We shot lots. No, no, of that. no, 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 no. Munich. Oh, we've got to speak about those. <laughs>
5: shamefully, I've not watched any
0: of these films: Memoirs of a Geisha, War of the Worlds, Revenge of the Sith, The Terminal, Prisoner of Azkaban, Catch Me If You Can, Chamber of Secrets, Minority Report, Attack of the Clones, Philosopher's Stone, AI, The Patriot, The Patriot, Angela's Ashes, Phantom Menace, Saving Private Ryan, Amistad. And so, yeah, we're back yeah, to yeah. the nineties. Yeah. Okay. So it, he's been very prolific. Still, he's been still
5: still keeping it up, which is amazing for a composer who's eighty three. Yeah, um, Yeah. But he, this this is the first big franchise-based film that he's done since the film that we shall not speak of and then the previous um, yeah, Star Wars <laughs> and Harry's, Harry Potter films. And I kind of went into this thing hoping that there wasn't going to be too much um, copy-pasting, that he wasn't just going to bring back old things. Because even in, even in this, the film, of which I refuse to acknowledge... There's, um, <laughs> there's a lot of bits. There's a lot of recycling. He's becoming my... one of the more economical... Um, Um, economical composers of a lot of recycling. And Hans Zimmer does that himself and uh, um, even Howard Shaw did for The Hobbit. uh, Yeah, listening to it, I, I think the first time, because the first viewing I was obviously so caught up in the film itself, I didn't notice the score as much but the second viewing... I think there's so little recycling unless it is it is a particularly important story point. So obviously the Han you know, the Han and Leia theme is played throughout the the wonderful scenes between Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. The layer theme is you know heard just as she arrives on the battlefield on the first time. And it would it would almost feel wrong if you didn't have those themes. The yeah. only point where they you know they use them is where it feels right. The only possible exception I'd say to that is, as much as it works and it kind of works, is um, when Ray grabs the, the lightsaber during the final battle like with a force pull, and they play the Skywalker slash force theme. And it's a really nice rendition of it, were you thinking TIE fighters immediately after dum, dum, dum,
0: dum, dum, ah, <laughs> Star Introduction? Because that's the exact point just after Baru and Owen have been fried.
5: Exactly, yeah. When well, no, I'm listening to it and she's holding you know, it's an amazing moment. It's the empowerment and the full realization of who this character is going to become. And all I'm thinking of is charred corpses in the desert. Yep. <laughs> Slightly odd mix, but it worked well. It's, and, it's like them playing the Ringwraith
0: theme when Thorin goes to march in on Azog. It's like, well, hang on, is he a Ringwraith now? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It just doesn't. Quite work, um, but it, it, you know the, the Having said that, if it turns out she is a Skywalker, that, then there's that moment it's, of "You killed my friend," slash "You killed my uncle and aunt," yeah,
5: or unless she's a Lars. Because the Lars, you know, I, I, oh, tell me she's not a Lars. Well, what a uh, talentless family. Uh, well, Owen, oh, you know, Shmi is so strong with the force that she—that means she's going to be re- related to Kleeg Lars, yeah, it's a creep and a half. Okay, that's fair point. Um, no, I, honestly, like, going into it, like the fact that there's so much, um, there's so many nods to the original scores, and it's still wonderful that music when you listen to it. But the fact that there are so many new themes, mm. the standout piece for me was Ray's theme. Yeah, I was going to say Absolute the, the and race. They yeah, love that. the awesome. the The swell of the strings as you see the speeder go past the crashed star destroyer and you know the the downed X-wing. It's like you know what? Yes, John Williams has still got it. I think it's the sort of score that's going to grow on me. I know there's like there's a new Resistance theme which I can't hum to you yet, but mm. give it a couple more viewings and I'll be able to. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've been listening to it as well. It's much more mood music
5: and much less um, anthems. Mm. But it's still very, very John Williams, and best of all, it's kind of it's more tonally in keeping with the original trilogy. As yeah. much as I love Jewel of the Fates and Battle of the Brothers and, to a lesser extent, Across the Stars, all three signature pieces yeah, yeah, from each of the prequels, they aren't they're not like the original trilogy's music they've got choruses in them which yeah you know, which very choruses weren't really used in the original trilogy or they've just got a slightly different tempo or tone to them whereas all of this felt more like his his traditional stuff it's you know like the you know, the martial resistance and you know the the first order themes are very martial and i love that even he's he's still got um there's a there's a track called Scherzo for X um, Wings. Scherzo for, for X Wings, which for me is a little nod to Scherzo for Motorcycle and Orchestra from the Indiana yep. Jones films.
0: It's
5: very John Williams, which for me, I came away from the whole thing. This film is very Star Wars with a score mm-hmm. that's very John Williams. Both boxes ticked. I'm happy.
0: And there's plenty of time for Michael Giacchino to take up the reins later on. Because he actually did a really good job with Jurassic World evoking that original. Um,
5: the, the I, love that, I love that he turned it down. I read that he actually said, like, no, I'd rather go see a Star Wars one with a John Williams score than my no, music. It's like, good, good man.
0: Yeah. Parentheses, there's plenty of time for me later. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, it was the right idea, bringing in John for that for this one. It might, it might be his last one. Maybe, mm. you know, we don't know what That's happen, the one
5: but... thing is, you know, the man's 83. I worry, yeah. will he reach episode nine?
0: But I like the fact that he's given us um, that that sound bed of tone for for this movie, yeah. so that they can move forwards without them being too broadly. It's it, um, it's a template for them to build on. Like, yeah. you know, he he scored the It's first, a lot less cartoony than the previous. Yeah.
5: he scored the first three Harry Potter films. He didn't do the next four, but mm. the four were still in keeping with his. Yeah, yeah. Because he'd laid that good that that groundwork.
7: For this soundtrack, to me, it felt more like a, a natural progression of let's explore the characters and let's let these characters and the new you know, the new tone of the movie itself kind of mm. kind of do its own thing where this
0: is the character you must think this about them.
7: Yes, whereas yeah, like yeah. with the prequels oh, okay, and I know that we're not intentionally comparing prequels to this one because otherwise we're going to get bogged down very heavily um in complaints as we always do when we start talking about the prequels. <laughs> um but one thing that I would call out is the way that the choruses were used, and I, and I still think that those are cool moments in the prequels, the way that the choruses were used in Duel of the Fates and Revenge of the Fates or something like, whatever the, the Revenge of the Sith one was. Um,
0: uh, Duel, of the S- uh, Faint, sorry, Duel of the Fates in uh, Phantom Menace you, and Battle of the Heroes Battle, in the Legend Okay, of the Sith.
7: thank you. Um, but I feel like those, those movies had... In them, it felt like the music was trying to make up for what they knew was going to be lacking in 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 the acting, and the abilities for the for the actors to like to really get into characters because they were stuck on green screen. You guys mentioned this that there's actually sets and things that people were able to react to and act with, whereas like yeah. with the Force Awakens, this movie had real performances that we have not seen in Star Wars yet.
1: Yeah,
7: um, and it was. It was there and the music didn't have to pick up and make up for lost intensity or lost emotion. And I really appreciated that I could see acting happening in the film. I've just been getting into acting myself recently and being able to play off of people and respect other people the way that they work and see how their characters develop while I'm trying to develop my own. I, I really started to appreciate where this movie has gone. Has taken Star Wars.
1: Mm.
7: It's, oh, it's what a progression it's made. I'm so excited about the next one, too.
0: Okay. Princess Leia.
7: General. The, General. But to me, <laughs> she
0: will always be royalty. Shivers when I heard that immediately. Lovely. I mean, we have really talked about General. Max von Sidov. He's, he's uh, one of those characters that's like, we'll find out later why he was actually very important. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, General Leia. It seems horrible and superficial to say she looked a mess, but she's so kind of pure-looking in uh, in the original uh, Star Wars. Very
7: fair-faced, yeah, very, very yeah. smooth, everything.
0: Then it's kind of a slap in the face of reality of, oh, hey, you know what, pure, thin... You know, uh, 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 you know, beautiful milky white young ladies have lives, get old and have to deal with a hell of a lot of stress, which leaves them looking like and sounding like this. And there was an actual real pain behind her eyes when she was talking to Hannah about Ben. So it, it was fantastic to see her back, although seeing her back there made me pretty much unilaterally sad the whole time for, for meta and for story reasons.
2: For those reasons, though, um, I actually really liked it. I, I yeah. thought it was a very strong appearance because she's lived, because she's had that life. You you get to see a Leia who had to deal with attempting to rebuild the galaxy mm-hmm. um, with a brother who um, she had to get to know from nothing who went through God knows what trying to put this Jedi Academy together through her own son doing whatever he did to pull that down and everything that she's been through. And she is still running the resistance and, and trying to keep up that that side of things. So to be honest with you, I think I, the way I was looking at it was um, this, is, this is a layer I could believe having gone through all of that. And if she had yep. still been, um, you know bare-faced and polished and, and looking amazing for her age. I well, think she'd have I'd been
0: probably... a CGI creation well,
2: for a yeah. start. Well, yeah. And I'd have been sat there thinking I, I don't believe this woman. I don't think she has time to hire all these makeup artists yeah. and dressmakers to keep her looking like this.
0: It's the same layer, level of crumpled... It's not the same defeat as Han has, but it's that same level of um, she has literally been through the wars.
2: Mm. But I think as well the um, the one thing that I, I noticed somebody... had. A, complained about was the apparent lack of reaction from her when they come back Mm. Um, and and you know she knows what's happened because you see her react to it she's picked it up through the force yeah
1: um
2: and it it actually when I, i read that i thought no you know what she got to that position for a reason she is able to put all that stuff in the background and get on with her job and a woman who has been <clears throat> doing that for that many decades, I wouldn't be surprised if she actually found it difficult to muster an emotional reaction in the first, um, yeah. you know, the first contact of having that that situation confirmed for her.
1: Yeah.
7: And an interesting reaction when she, when they did come back, and she and Ray hugged for a moment. It threw me the second time I watched the movie because. I was trying. To, I was scrambling to remember when they had interacted before, mm. and what that connection was about. They hadn't, had they? They, they really had. First time they—that was the first time they that was the first the first time. Time the actually first
2: time. Time they met. They met. Yeah. yeah.
7: But it, you know, honestly, it could have just been Ray with empathy going. I saw it happen, and I'm so sorry. And I just—I'm going to be here.
5: We well, right. get the sense that Ray obviously knows the stories, knows the stories about Han Solo, so he mm-hmm. probably knows the stories. But you know, Han Solo, the smuggler who who won a princess,
1: mm.
5: you know, so she probably knows who, who. She seems to be very aware of what's going on in the galaxy. So she or what went on in the galaxy. So she's probably <laughs> aware of who or Orga- Leia was. Also, she, you know, not to explain things away with the Force and all that, but she's just in touch with her powers. It may be that. that she can kind of sense something about Leia as she arrives, and Leia certainly can sense something about her. So there's just an unspoken kind of understanding between them.
2: And having just seen what she's seen as well, she knows th- about the you know the relationship between uh, Ben and, and Han, and obviously yeah. Leia as well. So I think the idea of her showing up and wanting to sympathise um, and wanting to reach out to her is it, it's, it felt perfectly in character foray and mm. the the other thing that it gives us that we haven't had in any other Star Wars movie really is that bonding moment between t- two women
1: yeah
7: because yeah, in the Wars, original
2: trilogy they didn't have <clears throat> enough women to do that no
7: in Star Wars <laughs> I don't think has ever been able to pass the Bechtel test has it
2: oh
0: uh, uh, Leia and Mon Mothma are in the same room together do they
2: actually talk to, yeah. to each other about on. the mission or anything like that <sighs>
0: In the original um, prequels, uh, Padme talks to some of her handmaidens.
2: But we never really hear what they're talking about, do we?
0: No. She says, I worry about you, m'lady. That's OK. I'll be all right. I assume the conversations between Padme
5: and her handmaidens are usually, "Right, which one of you is going to die for me next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm
2: going to have <laughs> you die for it's today. <laughs> um but, uh, but, yeah, so I, I, I really liked it from, from that angle as well, and it, it gave that... And I've said this before about films that don't have women interacting with each other when it's supposed to be about a big universe full of people don't feel real. So having that moment kind of gave it that reality for me. And also, there's I suppose, if you're looking at it specifically from that perspective, it's a little hint of the idea that um, in the aftermath of a battle, who is it who's left behind? Who usually are going to be the people who are left behind picking up the pieces? It's going to be the wives, it's going to be the daughters It's, you
5: know There's another test that the uh, Force Awakens sort of fails um, And this one's for you, Alex It's, uh, it's not very good on our West Country accent uh, test <laughs> There aren't many lines where it quite works The only one I've come up with so far is like, That's not how the Force works Nice <laughs> Who, are Who are you? I'm nothing, I'm nobody oh, you don't have nothing to
0: fight for
2: <laughs> See, the problem, though, now is that they all sound like... I will finish like... what
0: you started.
2: They all sound like they could be outtakes from The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, so all of a sudden they become yeah. authenticated.
7: Yeah. <laughs> I'm being torn apart, I am. <laughs> That's what I've been working on myself. Chewy. we be home. We be home.
5: <laughs> I'm to my way out of this night, I usually... YARP! Be-
0: <laughs> Sorry, this is, if you've ever lived in
7: England, this is fine. It's all <laughs> true that. Um as, another, another layer that I was I wanted to talk about with Leia, I'm very curious about how she and Han came up with the name Ben for Kylo. And I wanna know is it a direct Kenobi reference? Because my my only question about that is Leia knew him as a throwaway. Did you guys talk about this on part one?
0: For, no, because I we've heard that other people have talked about this For, um, Hang on, but Paris remind me was this on your show? Was it
8: I don't think we talked about it now it was like, okay, right, carry on, Alex. Well, I'm curious about
7: whether, you know, it was a connection with Kenobi that made Ben the name or if it was just something that they liked I have an Ben Solo.
0: Uh, how about the guy who ferried you all the way to Alderaan and gave you to your new parents and then went, you know, flew your own brother to meet you to the Death Star and then gave his life so that you could get away? Oh,
7: see, I don't you know? think about Obi-Wan <laughs> as being a part of Ben Kenobi. I, you know, Ben Kenobi makes me think, hello there, my little friend, like, and that's all I got. From that guy.
0: So really she should have called him Obi-Wan be. Skywalker.
2: Mm. But he's, effectively, he's her godfather and it's not unheard of for people to name their children after grandfathers and, and you know, relatives that they don't necessarily have. including the
0: assumed with. name of that grandfather when he lived as a hermit on Tatooine <laughs> for 19 years. It's
7: it very Deep lonely undercover. in the desert.
0: Yes, Tatooine nights. Why do you think I know that Moss Eisley is... A wretched hive of scum and villainy.
5: I first hand.
0: Yes. I know every crevice. Um, speaking of Tatooine knights, three uh, PO came back in in this one,
7: <laughs> in classic three PO form. So very three yeah.
0: PO, just enough three PO, just enough. Any more and it would have been yep. like, mm. I <laughs> think
5: you the, goes a long way, sir. I think the difference is though, like three PO never really went away because Anthony Daniels yeah. will leap at any chance to be brilliant, 3PO yeah. again. He's obviously <laughs> in the, you know, the Clone Wars and the Lego Star Wars. and like, I've even been to like, you know, do a couple of events. So I, I went to um, Star Wars the Musical Journey. They did a live orchestra performance at the O2, and he yeah. introduced it, and he was dropping into the uh, 3PO voice whenever he had the chance.
7: I saw <laughs> that when they came to Ohio. It was brilliant. It's incredible.
5: Absolutely incredible. Um, so the th- I think the thing is, you know, 3PO never went away. Yeah. So they didn't need to do a whole all oh, he's back kind of thing. Yeah. That's also probably why I was
0: less sort of, oh, what? We need more R2. Also, we got so much R2 in the prequels, they were like, I could probably do with less R2 at this stage. He's been flying around on his rocket (laughs) (laughs) packs. Um, like setting fire to that b- super battle droids, Which I pissing
5: on them with oil and setting them on fire again. I do love eating it. Eating their robot hearts <laughs> in, in further <laughs> proof that they are shying away from the prequels and rather just ignoring that they happened. Um, I was in town today. We we're looking at, um, around Waterstones and there's Star Wars: The Force Awakens a visual guide or something like that. And it's yeah, the usual merchandising book where you've got a spread on every character. And there was a spread about Artito and it lists all the things he does. Now bear in mind he didn't really do anything in this. He turns on and then projects a map. So the only thing you see him use are standby mode and a projector but it's still listed he's got a utility arm and a zapper you know taser thing not a mention of jetpacks yeah not a single mention <laughs> he ran them out in the clune wars
0: oh speaking of the map my god i have not heard anything complained about it, it, it from what sound like you know legitimate adults as much as the map um because it, it you know the, the map is you know kind of like the, the plot hangs on it it's and it's it's the MacGuffin, and ultimately, it's uh, what uh, there is. A film that I like; the whole film hangs on this MacGuffin. But if the thing doesn't make any sense then the whole film falls apart and I've forgotten what that film is in my head but ultimately they're probably right on this one with the map they're, 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 that is a valid complaint yeah. and that you know, in, in years to come they won't give us a satisfactory answer as to why the, uh, the map was subdivided in that way.
7: I think it was weird because 3PO flat out called it out and he's like oh he's probably not got the map and it was like well why did you have to say it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> apparently R2 got that on the Death Star 30 years ago when he was, you know, going, the city's central computer, no, it's um, Cloud not, City yeah. but either way, yeah, he, he got it from the, the Death Star central computer when he was shoving his uh, uh, his robot USB slot into things, um, but yeah, so basically that, what that map actually is, those dots that are all linked up, is all the Jedi temples
1: oh, uh-huh
0: and um, that, that you know, large chunk of space that has the last one which loops on is apparently the first Jedi Temple and people have been saying well why can you just go to that empty space in the, in the galaxy and just fly around in it and, and just see if you can find a planet they, don't know, like, they don't know how big
7: space is they don't know
0: A. how big space is or B. that space moves in 1080p it's up, down, left, right and every direction in between we're talking planets and planets and planets and planets to find a single guy on a rock.
7: Also, Star Wars space is different than our space, which is yeah, really yeah. interesting. One, you can hear sound through it. And yes. two... <laughs> it's special. Um, like, our galaxy, according to science, is always expanding and moving and, and everything is, you know, nothing's ever in the same place. Yeah. Um, but with Star Wars, everything is kind of, well, we've got hyperspace routes and you can get there. Like, it's not ever an issue. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, in all seriousness, that, that the map thing probably is kind of clumsy as hell and uh, could have used a bit of tweaking to make it just a case of uh, we've got a code or part of a code that can reactivate what it amounts to basically a map. And the fact that R2 sort of turns on, it's in response to BB-8, but it's delayed. Uh, it, what's interesting to me, though, is the fact that all of these are Jedi temples. And it seems like if they had access to all of this stuff... The first order probably would have gone through and destroyed all of those other points on the map to get rid of the last remnants of the Jedi. Which means that when uh, Ray goes to see Luke, they're on the last bit, basically the last little island that uh, you know is proof that the Jedi once existed. To
7: be a big part of what Snoke is interested in is yeah. wiping out the light. Yeah, which.
0: Uh, we'll talk about Snoke um, at some later date. Because we, we talked about him before, but we're given so little on him. Yeah. And he seems quite like a, a shallow, black evil character. I was only upset about him until I, realized, uh,
7: until I realized it was a hologram. I was like, yeah. there, there's no giant things in Star No. <laughs> Stop it. And then he disintegrated and went, oh, good. It was a hologram.
5: The only the only thing I took away about Snoke that I, I could even discuss or want to talk about is like, could they not come up with a more threatening name than Snoke? Yeah. Snoke sounds like Snooky. Yes. Well, Snoke. that's a
0: different form of evil, so... Yeah. Snoke sounds like one of the Ewoks. Yub-yub. Yep, yep. Yeah. Or at least one of Jar Jar Binks' mates. Boss-Nass. Sub-boss He's the cousin
5: to Snoke, <laughs> Yeah. It's just Which... really, really weird. Like, you know, going back to Leia, like, hearing her say, Snoke wants to do this. Snoke stole our son you can't take anyone seriously who's saying that as if they're worried about or or afraid of that character.
0: Yeah, it is a bit. It's kind of like when uh, they brought in uh, Jabba in the original, original like version, which George was like, we can't use this. The, you know, just the guy in the hairy pants. Uh, uh, You know, Jabba has to be much more imposing than that. And uh, it was a good plan. And I I hope we get Hutt's. Coming up. In fact, I'm going to give you a 100% hot guarantee in the Han Solo anthology uh, movie. In fact, it's almost certainly going to be Jabba himself. Oh, yeah.
7: He's going to be squirming with Huts.
0: Yeah. Do you think under those circumstances they will go back to puppet? Because it seems like they went puppet as much as they could, or, or practical effects as much as they could, and occasionally they augmented them.
7: Well, I think it just depends on the Hut, and Huts. Them, Huts in general are are obviously they're weird looking, they're big slug creatures, but. I've seen some. I've seen one Hut or somebody who was in the Clone Wars series, and and that was weird. And the comparison between the puppet and the CG in uh, that they added into A New Hope would just it was so weird. But it could have just been the CG at the time because we can see those cracks really well. Yeah. yeah. Um. Man, it'll be an interesting option because because. A giant How giant do, you do a performance capture hut now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, there's an the image. Um, but it just—I don't know. It's gonna—it's gonna—it's gonna take some really interesting, probably a combination of effects mm. to to really make it seamless and make it work. Because there are some things about the Java puppet that that have aged themselves. I, when we did Return of the Jedi, I don't think we actually called it out but, mm. you know, as gross as, as Jabba looks, there's still parts of him mm. that don't seem quite as filled out as they need to yeah. be.
0: And his eyes don't have any focus to them.
5: Yeah.
7: Mm.
0: They're just sort of staring ahead. Should we do, like, like to, to round this one off, like, worst bits that we've got? Uh, any, any other nit? Oh. See, yeah, that's the thing. Just calling them nitpicks... It's different for different people. Some people have voluntarily referred to them as nitpicks. And this is like the first film I've seen in ages where people have, their reaction has been, this was a really good film. Here's what was wrong with it. These are my nitpicks. (laughs) It's like the first thing they talk about is the only things that were a bit of a problem. And I found myself doing the same thing when I came out to the cinema. I was like, that was really, really good. Apart from that, everything was really, really good. It was like, let's just name the 1%. The 99% of everything else was brilliant.
5: See, why, I, why is that? I think I came out of it with. I, I, now I think about it, I have, I have one fault, one fault with it, but I came out of it thinking like there is nothing there that I would actually complain about. I'm not saying it's perfect, I'm not saying it doesn't have its faults, I'm just saying that none of them registered with me or mattered to me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the only fault, and something I'm sure we've all been itching to talk about, is the planet sized super weapon plot. Yep. Sure. Yes. when when will the empire the first order or whoever learns <laughs> yes. that that is not a valid business model maybe this was the last time like because what well, you think like just simple things okay right building things that big must require some element of finance you're not telling me any galactic bank will look at this plan and think. you know what <laughs> we had a couple of people try this a few years back and didn't quite work out for them but yeah you seem to have a good plan Paris. this was one of the first, one of the major things
0: that you had a problem with the idea of back when we were doing our predictions. Um, Do you want to elaborate on on your feelings on this? You've you've barely had a chance to talk, and I really want to give you a bit more floor space.
8: Going into the movie, obviously we already knew that this was going to happen, so I kind of already had resided myself to, all right, they're going to do another Death Star again. Um, If I had to nitpick it, it was just that the execution of the entire battle scene was beat for beat with A New Hope. It, w- it was literally, they had the trench, you know, everything. You know, the way it blew up, everything about it just, just was the same as the original Death Star. So I, I, I guess that would just be my disappointment that they could have had some type of unique twist to it. It would have been nice to have had the trench run and everyone that went in the trench was destroyed and they had to find another way to blow it up or something. I don't know. But you know, I thought they could have been a little more original with that.
0: Feasibly, they could have gone, like, you know, lured them into this uh, this exhaust port, and then they'd have slam the exhaust port shut and go, it's a trap! Right. And basically, like, destroyed them, and then Death Star survives, beats the Rebels, and then the Rebels end up having to run away, like, at the beginning of Empire. That would have been unusual.
5: I Even have if a theory... The, the, the Star Destroyer, or a, having a huge ship that's a bit more mobile well, than a planet, has mm. that sort of level of, of destructive capability. Even if they'd done that and they'd escaped and they disabled the weapon but the ship itself had survived, that would have yeah. been great.
0: It, 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 I, it is a completely valid complaint to go look, you present us once again with this enormous planetary size, you know, giant killer thing. And then it's easily taken out with the same tactics. We're just repeating ourselves here, but they repeat themselves first.
7: I think for me, I, I'm not super happy about the um, the super weapon. It was in, in the film itself, but I think I know why they did it. But in the film itself, it really didn't matter. It was a countdown. Yep. I'm pulling some of this from a conversation with my friend. Um, it didn't matter. All it was there for seemed to be. To give them a reason to say, oh, there's only ten minutes. Oh, there's only two minutes. Yeah. But that urgency didn't need to be added because it was already we have people on this base that we need to rescue. Let it be that kind of a thing. Let it be a regular base. It doesn't have to be a planet killer.
0: I, I think but basically like taking out the planet killer aspect of it made the scale seem a bit less epic, yes, maybe. But we, like, we can make this a planet killer. Almost like they added that in post.
7: Yeah. But the idea—tell <laughs> me
0: that's not what happened. Tell me they didn't add one extra scene where they went, "Oh yeah, it's totally a death star."
7: <laughs> <laughs> but I think I know why they used the the trench run and the super weapon thing in general, and I think it was there for it was there for comfort and familiarity. Uh, because, and I noticed this, and I figured it out the second time I watched the film. The trench run and the subsequent action scene. Is the next thing you see immediately after Han has been killed by Kylo? Bingo. And that two, two and a half, maybe three minutes of scene time of action was there to give the audience a chance to absorb what had just happened. Yeah. Which was an emotional high and extreme. It was there to give us. It was there to give us a minute because we because uh, we needed a minute.
0: Kind of like the the Tie Fighter battle in New Hope, so it did 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 because it's like to refocus you. And yeah, we all love Ben Kenobi, but he's dead now. What this film had that that Star Wars never really had was that that sense of real impact. It's that's going to be a really lasting death, as I said before. It is like the second most important death in the the Star Wars history. And, you know, ultimately, even if it's not, it's going to be important to us.
7: They haven't done the third most yet. Yeah, that'll be Luke. Oh, I was going to say Jar Jar.
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, actually, the, the, the repetition of the Death Star and the repetition of um, Snoke being basically the Emperor as a hologram in Empire, uh, it, it felt a little bit kind of like they were... They were they were linked as the, the, they were like the Empire must be basically the same kind of threat and uh, again that is something they can take with and take and run with
7: in the future they could turn it on its head if they need to yeah After but this movie, again which is these... kind of a callback to all three of the original trilogy films yeah they could do whatever they want with it from now on
0: Sharon I know that you have you've barely spoken and this was a major character for you um, what do you think what did you think of Mars?
2: I, I loved her. I thought uh, Lupita Nyong'o's voice was absolutely perfect for her because she's got such uh, such weight in her tone and such gravity um, in mm. her voice. And to put that in this tiny little body um, mm. it, it just fit for me. I, it was kind of almost Yoda. Not quite, obviously, because it's a, d- a different context. Um, but I, I felt that was their Yoda nod. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved that. I... Really like the idea of her being sort of the keeper of this, um, of the the artifacts and the keeper of the the knowledge because there were so many half finished sentences in that conversation with Han where hints are dropped and things are said and you really get the impression that she knows a lot more about what's going on with these people than than is going to be made clear at this stage. Um, so I think she was she was pretty crucial in terms of seeding a lot of the mystery which. Hopefully, they will pick up and run within eight.
0: Yep, repeated. It's exactly the same. Lo- uh, Love to the the fact that basically she completed the Han's um, uh, role as the wise man. Basically, you know, he was like, "Okay, I can't handle the force stuff, but I know someone who can, and she can be the extension of me taking off this planet." That that made her special, and also the fact that the Peter Nyongo is a young lady. Yeah. And she sounded 80 or older. And th- there's a, a a real performance in there. And there was a, a wisdom behind her. And um, probably the most wibbly of the CG aliens. But at the same time, she had that kind of like CG Yoda. You really took her seriously because it was a performance. It was, so it was, the well,
7: it was motion capture role.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if it's a... Uh, if it's a wibbly thing that's just there to amuse you or for a gag, you just you can keep it, movie. But if it's an actual performance, this is the difference between Dane Ironfoot and Gollum, then um, there's then there's something there that we can really engage with, and uh, I, I I can you know I, I really wish that with Jar Jar they had decided right, let's make Yoda our CGI character for this. for for episode one and we will do our absolute best to deliver you Yoda and you're going to go this doesn't look right this doesn't feel right but you'll get used to it because the performance will be that good that ultimately Jar Jar was there to tick a box and say we can do an entirely CGI creation it's it's uh, it's just another skin for a performer that's what it needs to be looked at as
7: where's she from is uh the actress I was having a hard time placing her accent
0: do the internet? Do you, uh, do you mean so where does she? Uh, where was she born? Or, well, I uh... was just
7: trying to place her accent, and I was trying to figure out if she was like, if it was an African dialect, or if it was like a Jamaican uh, sound, because I was pulling different sounds from her performance, and I wanted to know if it was something that was a part of her speech and a part of her patterns, or if it was something that she had created for Maz. Um, because I've she's thirty-two. One.
0: She tribute. was born in Mexico City to Kenyan parents.
7: Maybe it's maybe it's part, like, maybe it's like a, a second-generation Kenyan accent that yeah. she picked up.
0: And, uh, yeah, she was in 12 Years a Slave, folks. So if you uh, check that one out. Um, the main thing I took away from that... <laughs> I said, like, oh, just this great bit of fun, 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years
5: a Slave is an important damn film. Watch it. The main thing I took away from Mars was, um, it was the interesting line she says, like, I'm no Jedi, but I know the Force, yeah. which is interesting to, like, so far in the series... You are in one of three categories. You are either fully forced up and Jedi, or you're training to be a forced up Jedi, or you have absolutely no connection to the Force at all. So the idea of a Force sensitive person, or rather a Force aware person, who hasn't followed the path and hasn't developed those abilities or haven't hasn't progressed more, uh, pursued more of that knowledge, I think that's yeah. interesting. I'm intrigued to see what they do with her in rest, because she's quite clearly coming back. I hope.
7: Oh, my expectation for this series is. Uh, is they're going to introduce a a third type of force user to us? I think they're going to at least yeah. to bring um a kind of the gray Jedi aspect of the force into the world. Maybe it's the balance that the force is needed to have some people who are you know a, able to tap into both and you know use those with you know with morals kind of a thing. Um, so I'll be very curious to see where they're going to go with that because Maz could be one of those wizened people who maybe doesn't know how to tap into the force, but has experienced a lot of it. Mm.
0: The other thing is that ultimately Jedi and Sith are being made, clearly made here to be seen as they were just the most recent people who were tapping into the force. The force, since it surrounds us and binds us is older than everything. It's, it's as old as the universe. And to that end, the, the, who are the Jedi to say we are the ones who are the keepers of the Force? It's um, the, the fact that they, the Jedi themselves were limited by Lucas's writing in the prequels, and now we can't undo that. Means we can now go back further and go, yeah, but there was a time before the Jedi, and you know there were all kinds of secrets of the Force that they never even looked into. And this whole dark light thing—it's overly simplified. So that's exciting. Oh,
7: I mean, it isn't? came from a film from the seventies, and. I mean, that's honestly, that's where we're most limited, I think, is not because of the era that it came from, but it was just you know it was some guys who wanted to make a movie and they they invented a million things to make that movie, including the story. But it was a heck of a place to start. And I'm happy with you know where it's gone so far. Moving forward,
0: um, we, I started playing The Force Awakens with Lyra the uh, other week because I was like, wow, let's just show you a fun Star Wars game that's also kind of dark and has got a good plot to it. And the beginning's got the Star Wars preamble and then the shuttle lands and then it started panning up uh, these, the, the black booted legs and it went up and it went to the black suited chest with the, uh, the diodes and she went, <gasps> and then it was Vader's mask. And she went, oh, I was like, what? She went, I wanted Kylo Ren.
7: <laughs>
0: and that's good. That is really good. We want children hungering for the new characters because they're really, they're going to be the ones that are moving us forwards. And although there'll always be room for Vader, Lyra's fascinated by Kylo Ren. And that's, I mean, he has a dark character who by right she should hate for killing Han for very simple reasons, but she feels sorry for him. And that's a good sign for the future, I think. That they can even make their villains beloved by the kids, also known as the Force Awakens. The main... Oh, some folks just like it's a bad name for. Her. I think even Brianna Wu said this name doesn't even make
5: sense. What's awakening? Well, I don't know the Force. The Force in Ray. <laughs> the main thing I said from this, and this kind of goes back to the start of this discussion about going in with with certain expectations. My main expectation was to go in and to come out wanting to see more, and I got that. I, you know. I went into a certain, you know... Indiana Jones and the MacGuffin that ruined the entire franchise for me. I went into that... and I came, Indiana Jones and the Fridge of Lead. Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Fridge <laughs> of Lead. I went into that... And she I doesn't look like, thinking, like much, kid. You know what? I must, 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 must not watch any more of these... other than the original trilogy. If they make more, I ignore them. But I must, 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 must... Uh, yeah, but I, I stick with the original trilogy. This, I have the complete opposite. I've come out of um, Force Awakens thinking, right... I can't wait for not episode eight, I can't wait for episode nine. Watching that fight between Kylo and, and Ray, and how clumsy it is on Ray's part and how furious it is on, on Kylo's part. I'm looking forward to an episode nine with a, a now fully trained Rey versus a much more controlled and focused Kylo. That is gonna be an incredible fight. I want to see the anthology films. I want to start reading into this new expanded universe. I want more Star Wars. And that is the (laughs) biggest thing, the most important thing that they needed to achieve. And for me, they managed it.
0: You've taken your next step into a larger world.
7: I'm going to go listen to that parody song I wrote again, just because I got really excited about it. (laughs) That's the whole end of the song. It's, you know, brand new Star Wars. More is coming. While you're looking, see if you
0: can find Darth Vader on YouTube, voiced by young Anakin Skywalker. It is the most... Hilarious, creepy, throwing you completely out of Star Wars. Wait, when you
7: say young, do you mean gang
0: like ever. the little kid? Jake Lloyd playing <laughs> Vader in the original Star have to look Wars. That it's up. hilarious. Check it out. <sighs> okay. Okay, I just came back from seeing it a second time today. I hadn't planned on it, but I was uh, in town to get a, a Lego Stormtrooper. And um, I know I said it was better than Empire the first time around but that that was just the initial excitement and um, on the second viewing it's even better I'm serious it is even better I love this film sorry guys sorry for shouting but man I noticed all new details like um, when Kylo's talking to Snoke the first time around and uh, Snoke starts saying you know there's Han Solo he's Kylo says he means nothing to me. He, he, he practically begs Snoke to disregard Han Solo. He doesn't want to do what he eventually does. There's loads of little things. like um, Rey, in her home, has a little doll that's dressed like an X-Wing pilot. Never noticed that the first time around. I was carefully watching the two guys from the raid, Iko Uwes and Jahan Ruyan, to see if either of them got eaten by those giant CGI monsters. I didn't see it happen, so I'm hoping they come back to do some of their awesome action skills, because that's something that Star Wars could do even more. And I just, when Rey was shouting at the uh, guy, I think played by Warwick Davis, trying to pick up BB-8 in a net at the beginning, and he eventually relented and wandered off, and she shouted, you know, get off him, in whatever language he was speaking, she might have done that to a lot of people throughout her life, effectively getting her point across. She's very assertive, and she's very used to getting her own way, it seems. How often do you think that was the Jedi mind trick? Though clearly it doesn't work on that guy who gives her food. That ending, I think we'd barely talked about it, but just the whole Ray on the steps and then walking up and presenting br- Luke's lightsaber back to him, and just the amount of face acting Mark Hamill does, the amount of I mean, it's difficult to tell exactly what his feelings are and whether I'm right on this, but there just seemed to be such a mix of regret and sadness and a little bit of anger, but pride and, and also facing up to the fact that what he's been running from all these years has finally come back to meet him. And it's so right and proper that Mark Hamill wasn't really in this movie, but that his, the essence of Luke was driving the plot. That's perfect. And I love that he lives up a mountain like Pi Mei. Also pay close attention to the relationship between Ray and Finn and how kind of not based on attraction but definitely based on friendship it is. And there's a point when Finn asks, you got a boyfriend, a cute boyfriend? And it's like, that could just be a throwaway line because he's like sort of saying, hey, you're single. But at the same time, he could be gay and that could be fine. And that could just be like, hey, get used to it. I don't know if Poe's interested, but I think it seems like the internet is. But most of all, here's the thing. When I was walking back up the hill, we got this massive steep hill called, imaginatively, Steep Hill in Lincoln. It's practically vertical, and it is a slog to get up. It's cobblestones. Um, But it goes on for ages. You know when you've watched something very visual with loads of great characters, and you can sort of remember the way those characters move and the way those characters walk? And it was affecting how I was walking up the hill. I was remembering the way Kylo Ren walks that kind of purposeful animalistic striding, Uh, but also the way that Rey walks, and also the way that Finn walks, that kind of, you know, oh god, what's, what's going on? Also the way that Phasma walks, the swagger from Poe, just the... There's so many characters defined by their physical movement, and so many new characters specifically. It just, it highlighted what an incredibly vibrant new cast, an incredibly vibrant new range of characters we've got to to pick up the torch and just carry on running with it. That's what Kylo Ren's lightsaber is, dude. It's a torch. It's on fire. Oh yeah, and the Han Solo death scene this time around, most of my audience had clearly seen it already once because there was very few oh, of surprise when it happened. I mean, like, when anything happened. Like, when, when the Falcon turned up, there was, like, a couple of people behind me who went, oh, the Falcon. I was like, what? You've taken this long to see it. But the moment when Han was about to die, you could have heard a pin drop. Everyone was craning forwards in their seat and studying the screen. Everybody was totally enveloped in the story. That's a good sign. It's a very good sign. So, yeah, in conclusion, this is my favourite Star Wars film. Today. Today. If you love these podcasts and want to give a little back, we have a Patreon to help us pay the bills. Your support and donations there keep this show going. Thank you, guys and girls, so, so much for coming on. This has been quite a quite an experience going through this. So if folks want to hear more from you guys, where
4: can they find you? Uh, you can find me over at uh, Game Burster. We recently did our um, top five games of the year, and it, it's been a
3: very good year for games i recommend you go and listen to that and james at cane and rinse are ramping up uh, into already started volume five if you go over to cane rinse.com you will find uh, the schedule for the podcast what we've played recently and you will find more than 200 episodes of the podcast to go back and listen to video games of all shapes and sizes discussed it has been a really great year for games isn't yeah. it yep and
0: movies yep. it's more of a choice that when I'm I'm looking at Mad Max Fury Road Inside Out and Star Wars and going <laughs> <laughs> which one, I, I, I don't want to have to let either, any of these three down because they were all like six star <laughs>
8: films uh, you can find me over at filmtangent.com. You can find me at gamertagradio.com.
5: You can find me at com and com, Or just Twitter is at rarereplayed, at bondandbeyond. Alex.
7: Uh, you can find me on Twitter is at Alex Eading. That's spelled E-D-I-N-G. And uh, you can hear our podcast from the Plaid Hat Games uh, board game company. The uh, website is plathatgames.com. And there's a podcast link right at the top.
0: And thank you all for coming on. Can't wait to get you guys on for some Star Wars film in the future. So that has been all for us, for a galaxy far, far away, for quite some time, until next week when we're going to do Rebels. Actually, it's not going to be next week. It'll be like two weeks from now. But uh, yeah, you've still got time to watch Rebels, folks. Watch it. It's great. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And may the Force force be with be with you.
6: Jedi why are you here I'm looking for someone
8: looking found someone you have I would say
6: (laughs) right
3: is your strike team assembled
2: brother scoundrel
6: and who might you be leia you don't know the power of the dark side i'll never turn to the dark side what in time you will call me master
8: i don't think so
1: Look at the size
5: of that thing.
8: There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegration. It's not fair.
6: got something jammed in here real good were you on a star cruiser ah, what is that ah, i'm high on
5: the
1: but
6: these are my friends that, that way yeah <laughs> i don't know where you get your delusions laser brain <laughs>
8: Laugh it up, fuzzball. <laughs>